Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. What is this, amateur hour? Yeah, I ain't no Superman businessman like you. You know, I'm just a amateur, I suppose. Amateur hour is what's happening. <laughs> amateur hour is what's About a year ago today, Ryan and Dirk cried after a game. They've been going in and out of style, but they're guaranteed to raise a smile. So may I introduce to you the action known for all these years, Amateur Hour Podcast. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> The Chiefs are in another Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. The Chiefs are in another Super Bowl. That's why you get to hear me sing. Football friendship and fun football friendship and fun football friendship and fun forever. It's wonderful to be here. It's certainly a thrill. You're such a lovely audience. We'd like to take you home with us. We'd love to take you home. I don't really want to stop the show, but I thought you might like to know. Mahomes is only 25. What a time to be alive. So may I introduce to you the one and only amateurs, Ryan Scott. All in his darkness! Yeah! Yeah! Amateur! <laughs> That's right, folks. Welcome into Amateur Hour. It's Ryan Scott Hall. And your boy is Dirt Dudes. Wait, what do I say here? I forgot. Is it Super Bowl, baby? So that's what you did last time, yeah. Yeah, I'm just stealing my material from our last show, or maybe two shows ago. The sup into a Super Bowl, baby. That's all I got. That's all I got. I mean, after that intro, though. I feel like we should just shut it down and end the show right here. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was magical, my friend. Uh, well done. I'm not going to lie. I recorded it last night in my car, in my dad's driveway, because I didn't want to wake anyone up when I was doing it at like 1030 at night. <laughs> I like how it's just the song, but turned down. Like you can hear them singing, but it's just, it's just turned. <laughs> I'm just going to sing over the top. I was trying to figure out, like, I I looked for, like, the audio-only versions or, like, karaoke versions, and every one of them just didn't really sound right. And I was like, whatever, I'm just going to play the song. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> it took me weeks to try to find something that I thought would be fun, but, you know, I thought it would work well. 
weeks. We we haven't even decided we've been we're gonna do this for weeks. Yeah, you've been planning it on your own, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I've been plotting. You know. Oh, I don't think most people know, but we've actually been recording podcasts all season. We just haven't released any. Yeah, we've just kept them to ourselves. The in the amateur hour archives. Um, you know, Dirk, it's it's really good to see you, man. It's really good to talk to you. Um, it's it's good to see you. You're a teacher now, and you look like you're from Saved by the Bell, the college years. Do I? That's I, that's your current look right now. You're going for a strong Professor Lasky look. I don't know that I ever watched the college years of Saved by the Bell, but that's a deep cut. Well, pull it up. I mean, everyone's got the long hair like that, perfectly quaffed. <laughs> so you're looking, it's a strong look. It's coming back. Well, you know, I can I can do a pony, but not like not like as bad as much as I want. I can't get the full pony yet. So hopefully by the time I graduate, it will be like straight, you know, cool, cool teacher, ponytail guy. That's what I'm going for. Oh yeah. Teaching <laughs> teaching the kids karate, like in uh dangerous minds. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. My name is Mr. Hall. Do you know any karate? (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So we were discussing where we wanted to start, given the fact that we haven't talked in a year. Um, Well, I I know what people want to hear about. The 2019 Kansas City Chiefs. (laughs) They definitely, definitely want to look back, right? It's not like there's a Super Bowl to be played in a few days. And um, so listen, because the Chiefs are now playing in back-to-back Super Bowls, um, I, I think that maybe the best place to start is by talking about the difference between last year and this year. I don't know about you, and I certainly don't know about anybody else, but one of the things that I noticed and I saw kind of like the perfect tweet to encapsulate this. Our guy, Roger Sherman from The Ringer. The hardest part about covering the NFL is that the Chiefs are obviously 15 times better than everybody, but if we write that every week, it gets boring. We have to pretend that the elephant isn't there. I'm sitting here looking at that thinking like, dude, we have obviously come full circle, right? Like, if you look at the beginning of Amateur Hour, it's like Ryan and Dirk in 2012. How am I supposed to write about this team every week because they're so bad? And now we've got Ryan and Dirk in 2021. How are we supposed to talk about this team? They're just so good. <laughs> like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I think we've kind of tweeted this out a few times, but it deserves to be said that we – started the podcast in 2012 when the Chiefs had what many would call the worst NFL season of all time. Now, there's been some winless teams, but there were other things that went into that 2012 season, one including a murder-suicide at the team facility that really puts that season over the top. And we carried the podcast all the way through a 2019 Super Bowl that we foresaw years in advance. So it was really just like a perfect stopping point for amateur i I know i realize we left people kind of hanging but me and you were both kind of just like that's just like very poetic Mm -hmm. and really the only thing that has pulled us out of retirement has been reaching another super bowl 
So we decided to go ahead and give this another shot. But but really to Roger's point there, it even people convinced themselves the Bills had a shot and it and it carried over even to the point where they called the Bills the hot team, even though they were coming off of scoring 10 points against the Ravens in a playoff game. And people just completely glossed over that. No, nope, they're still the hot team. They've still got momentum. They just scored a whopping 10 points against the Ravens in a home playoff game. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? They're not a hot team. They were hot at like week 15, but, and I, and I was, I mean, I wouldn't say worry, but I was like, okay, the Bills might be a legitimate competitor here. And then I see them in the playoffs. Josh Allen looks like kind of what I thought Josh Allen might reform to. And, and, and going into the game, it's just like, dude, these guys aren't going to be able to run with us. It's, it's, I don't know what people are talking about. And Roger's right that, that you have to talk about something. I mean, it's almost, it's, it's, Getting it dipping into NBA waters, which I think a lot of people have gone to. Whereas, you know, the Warriors were so far the best team, but we have an entire season here. We have to talk about something throughout the season and throughout the playoffs to make the Warriors to make it seem like the Warriors aren't just going to cakewalk to this these finals. And the Chiefs aren't to that level really, but they are, you know, within the conversation of that level. So one of the things that stands out to me about some of the Bills talk. I mean, they were, I think, definitely in the last probably seven or eight weeks of the season. I mean, they were performing better, at the very least offensively, performing better than the Chiefs were. And now I I love the, like, petty Patrick Mahomes at the microphone after the Bills game saying, like, apparently it's a stat that we weren't winning by enough points. Um, Because that's the kind of stuff that people were having to bring up when the team has won an NFL record, like eight straight by a touchdown or less. And I, I saw a couple kind of like contextual conversations about that bills game. And it's, you know, the chiefs dropped two interceptions. They lost a fumble inside their own five yard line. They failed to recover an onside kick. And yet they still beat the quote unquote hottest team in the AFC by two touchdowns. You know, and and beyond that, I did see a stat from PFF that Josh Allen against the Blitz this season was it had an 83.4 grade, and then Josh Allen against the Blitz um, for for the game against the Chiefs in the playoffs, he was at 45 and a half, like almost half of how he was performing the entire season. So some of that, I will say, obviously you got to credit Spagnolo. Um, the guy's just absolutely brilliant and, and we'll expand on the defense and the way that they play in the playoffs and the way they crank it up later on in the show. But I mean, that Bills team, it seems like as soon as they crossed the finish line of the regular season and stepped into the postseason, they hit a wall. They looked, they looked bad against Indy. They looked bad against the chiefs. Um, and, and I mean, that's, I, I just, I, I do think, as you mentioned with that point from Roger, that it's like, it's gotta be hard, man. I mean, I have so much respect for the people, you know, like our, our friends over at Arrowhead pride, you know, Kent Swanson and Craig Stout and Matt Lane pumping out multiple podcasts a week on top of the articles that they're doing in a season where like, all I could muster most of the time was like, we're better than everybody. Anytime we're talking in our group chat or whatever, I'm just like, we're the best team in the league. That's where I'm at. I'm very comfortable and I'm very confident we're the best team in the league. 
Yeah, and really in the entirety of 2020, um, for Chiefs fans, or at least for me, I maybe I shouldn't speak for everybody, but for me, there was maybe one and a half quarters of doubt for the entire season. And the only reason that one and a half quarters of doubt existed is because Patrick Mahomes got hurt. That was the only reason. If he doesn't get hurt in that game, it's just it's just a freight train full speed ahead that there's never been a doubt. We're just the best team. Like, well, you know, we might see if somebody else is up for the challenge, but right now there's nobody better and nobody even close. And Buffalo, I mean, they really came out and laid an egg. I couldn't I couldn't believe uh, that they 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 kicked the field goals on those fourth downs. It was like they weren't watching the own their own game it, when it was obvious to everybody else. Like you have to get seven points here. You guys are outmatched. Like how can you guys not see this? Um, but yeah, I mean, just throughout the entire 2020 season, um, just the differences overall, man. I mean, rewind to last year, everything just felt so life and death. Like every single moment, and there was so much adversity. Uh, you had the you had the Mahomes injury. You had a slew of other injuries that led to like some legitimate end season struggles. A really crappy game against the Colts in there, getting whooped by the Texans on your home turf. Uh, you had a miracle to even get a bye week in the playoffs. It took the biggest NFL upset in in league history, I believe, or at least top five upset in NFL history, just to get a bye week into the playoffs. Then you have a twenty four nothing deficit. Then you have multiple other double-digit deficits, including the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. 2019 carried 50 years of weight from the Kansas City Chiefs organization, plus 20 years of Andy Reid's weight. Uh, sorry, Andy. Plus my beautiful prediction from three years ago, it carried all of that. When 2020 has just been like, just been joyriding. Like, it's just, it's just a completely different beast. Watching games, it's just like, eh, I think we'll win. I think we'll be fine. Like, there's just been no, no up and downs whatsoever, really. Uh, I mean, even in those games that we've won close, anybody who was watching them saw that we just, I mean, the, the, the better opponents. There was a few games in there, like the Falcons and Broncos, that we did kind of take it easy. And it was just kind of like, well, this is kind of lackluster. But I, I don't think any Chiefs fan legitimately worried about them. Whereas any quality opponent that we played we just came out and hammered them and then took our foot off the gas you know and it's it's interesting i look at it and i so even just like the afc championship game specifically right i mean the whole season you're right that everything felt very very different um i worried a little bit about like how satisfied i was i mean it was pretty much like the Chiefs won the Super Bowl and and then 2020 proceeded to be arguably like the worst year of our lives, you know, for most of us because of all of the other things that happened. And, and yet like when the Chiefs come back on the television, I was just never scared. I was perfectly content and it was almost like you could just like the Chiefs could never be good again. And because they won the Super Bowl, I'm fine. And I don't like that posture, but it is in a lot of ways kind of how I felt. And so I look at it and it's just like, it's almost maybe like the difference between chasing dreams and then this year was just taking care of business because we were the best team in the league and every team that was coming to play the Chiefs, you know, you you hear it's, it's, 
overplayed, but like you get everybody's best shot. And to me, I think that that's very true because look, maybe it ends up being like coach speak or just kind of robotic answers that you get from Patrick Mahomes sometimes in front of the media. But man, I mean, I heard so often throughout this season, the term unscouted looks in terms of like what they were facing. And so it was like, we're getting against all these defenses. They're coming in and they're doing stuff that they have never put on tape before in order to try to like literally throw the kitchen sink at Patrick Mahomes and the chiefs. And, you know, we, everybody joked about like that Raiders game that they ended up losing, that it was their super bowl. And then they drive the bus around the stadium doing the victory lap and all that stuff. And, and like it, it ruined the Raiders season in a lot of ways, they were terrible after that. And, and to me, it's just like, if every game the chiefs are going to get the best shot from their opponent and they're going to be throwing every possible thing that they can come up with, you know, cocktail napkin defensive formations at us just to try to confuse our quarterback. And we still went 14 and one in games that we actually had our starters. Like what they literally, all it was, was just, we are taking care of business. We're the best team in the league. And no matter what people throw at us, it didn't make any difference. Yeah, and in retrospect, I mean, the Raiders were absolutely right to drive their bus around Arrowhead. They should have driven it around again and again and again. They should have done 50 laps. They should have just circled the whole week. I mean, yeah. they beat this team. The Raiders, I mean, we we joke about teams like hanging banners for stupid shit. That's banner-worthy, man. They beat the fucking 2020 Chiefs. I mean, they're the only team in this entire block here. Um, I, I wish that we hadn't lost that backups game so we could – uh, hash out some stats of we've only lost one game over you know what are we twenty seven and one or something like that at this point but uh, regardless uh, I mean you talk about how every team threw all of that at us and then you you look at our side of it and I think what people are misconstruing as the Chiefs took it easy on some opponents I think it was our old friend. I think it was our old friend, the Andy Reid shutdown mode. Mm -hmm. And Andy Reid got up in those games and he shut it down. And what that has led to is saving the playbook for eight weeks. The Chiefs have not dipped into their actual playbook for eight weeks. They've just been fucking around. So then they come out in the playoffs, and I'm sure people have seen these stats already, but the Chiefs playoff drives so far with Mahomes, touchdown, touchdown, field goal, field goal, missed field goal, field goal, that's when Mahomes got hurt. Punt, the one punt, stemming from the Tyreek Hill 40-yard drop. Touchdown, 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 field goal, touchdown. We have scored six touchdowns. We've had five field goal attempts, and we've had one punt that came from a drop. Now, to be fair, one of those field goals was from a three and out following an interception that led to a field goal. But the Chiefs offense right now, it's on a whole nother level. It's on a whole other level. And, and I rewatched the Super Bowl a few nights ago, and it was almost shocking to see how much the Chiefs offense struggled. Like, and I just haven't seen that for, for so long, like in, a, in meaningful minutes, that it was, it was kind of jarring to see, like, damn, what is this? They're like, they're not converting, they're punting. Like, this is, this is weird to see. Like, the Chiefs, the Chiefs offense right now just completely on autopilot just a machine mowing down the field you cannot stop them and you know i 
I, in preparation for the AFC championship, I was really expecting a similar performance to week three against Baltimore where Andy came out and literally was like, this is a statement game. I am going to empty the playbook. We're going to do all sorts of ridiculous stuff on national TV against who, you know, most people thought was their best AFC opponent. You know, the team that I think a lot of people were expecting, you know, to, to land in the AFC championship against the chiefs until the season played itself out. I think people started to sour on the Ravens, but certainly, you know, at that point in the season, the chiefs came out and they embarrassed the Ravens embarrassed them. I mean, some of the stuff that Andy was, was doing in that game, people were just like, Oh my God. And that's really what I expected in the bills game. And, you know, the bills got up early and then the chiefs got up and, and, you know, largely through the entire second half, they just coasted. And it's, it's, it's amazing to watch. I'll, I'll tell you, when I heard the Andy Reid quote on Cowherd from the other day where they were talking about Tom Brady and he said, you can never have enough points. You just have to keep going against this guy. I was just like, oh, man, it's a Super Bowl. Like, I just I, – I really hope that we get, like, full scorched earth Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey pulling out all the stops – in this game in order to, I mean, I, I don't know if this is the right word. It's the one that, that makes me feel good. I want them to humiliate Tom Brady. I want them to do literally everything they can to make that Bucks team look completely inferior, make him look like he's 43 years old. Let everybody know this is the best offense in the NFL. This is the best, you know, coach in the league right now. That's not to say that, you know, Andy is better than Belichick or whatever, but like right now, this we're, we're the best. We're the best. It's not even close. I, I do want to step back to real quick, if I can, before we start to like really dive into the offense. Um, another thing that I think is worthy of pointing out about the difference between 2019 and 2020, just, just take a listen here and see what you notice about one of our favorite Kansas City Chiefs. Had two games in each game, 70 yards, over 200 yards each game. I know damn well we weren't going to win the game. We let that happen. They come in here, he ran for 70 yards. They come to the best rush in the league. We're sitting in this home early. I posted the comments that you said to me, and all over social media, everybody said you better watch your back, and you're saying things that you can't catch. Everybody on social media, they must not know who I am yet. They're going to find out sooner or later when I got that ring on my finger. At the end of the day, we champions. AFC, that trophy that got my own the last name on it, that the KC. That KC, ain't no fall off. Last year, jump off sides, all that. I told him when I got here, there's no change. Look at the that's 2019 Frank Clark as everyone knows very very well directly after the AFC championship win here is Frank Clark right after the 2020 AFC championship win There's something just so contented about Frank Clark in a t-shirt that he created in a fur coat 
being asked about, do you have a message for the GOAT Tom Brady and all Frank can muster after his second straight AFC championship win is, nah, I just see his ass on Sunday in the Super Bowl. (laughs) I was just like, I love this man so much, but like it just continues to me to speak to its business now. Like they are in the business of winning championships. And it's not that they weren't in 2019, but there was so much emotion that was, that went into it. And now it's more about pride. It's more about taking care of business and saying like, we are the best in the league and we're going to back it up every single week, bring your best. And, and, and it's not going to be enough. Yeah. I mean, I mean, to the point where there are, actively seeking stuff out on Twitter and then and then speaking about it about for for just slights like they're just looking for slights now to get motivated because because things are that much different but I mean that is that is like a perfect encapsulation because 2019 man it just had all these moments and you're just looking at all of these these in-game sounds and you're watching it you're and you're soaking in every single sound bite and it's just like oh my gosh yes and Mahomes on the sideline done 24 nothing rallying the team and Tyron Matthew chewing the team out on the on the sideline at the Super Bowl and all this shit. And then it's just 2020. It's just like, we're just going to go out and mow them down. And that's the end. That's the end of the game. And it's just like, okay, uh, I guess. Um, well, so one question I have to you that I think is an interesting discussion is, do you miss it? Do you miss the, the angst that came with 2019, the life and death hanging on every moment versus this year when it's just, it's just casual. It's just, we'll roll out there and like, we'll, you know, we'll get together and make fun of the bills for thinking they have a chance and, and, and all this, but you know, it's not, it's, it's, it's not like, I, I'm pretty sure we both teared up at the end of the AFC championship last year. I mean, it's a huge fucking deal. Like that's, it's something we hadn't done before this year. It was just like, all right, I'm gonna go get some dinner. And then I'm probably gonna head to bed early, you know, get some sleep, wake up and enjoy my Monday. And it's just so much different. So do you miss the 2019 feelings at all that came along with that? You know, it's hard to say, honestly. Um, So here's the thing for me, like, maybe this is a little bit too inside, you know, Ryan Scott Hall's life, but dude, 2020 has been, it, it, it was really hard. It was extremely hard. And I don't need to go into like every tiny little detail, but it was the fall semester was the hardest semester that I had over, you know, these five years of this journey of toward trying to graduate college in my thirties. And I, the election played a huge role in some of the, the issues that I was having. I was obviously, I think anybody that spent time with me on Twitter was seeing how, how tough some of that stuff was for me. But, um, you know, I mean, I, I got to a point where I think in like October or so that I ended up for the first time in my life seeing a therapist and it, it was just a tough year. And so I think that it's it's weird because I think about like if I didn't have the, the peace about the Chiefs, I wonder if it would have been like the good kind of distraction to have all of those emotions, like, like all kind of wrapped up in, in the chief's performance every week, or if it was good that it wasn't just like one more thing to potentially stress me out. Um, 
it's it's strange because it's maybe for me it's more about like the time that I'm at in my life that like I don't need the extra stress I have enough on my plate but in terms of just like what it does to football yeah yeah I miss it for sure um I I don't think that our lives will ever be the same um after after winning that Super Bowl because God, we chased it for so long. Like it, it was this thing that was just always out of reach. And I mean, you, you encapsulated it so well in that episode that we did celebrating the Super Bowl win where you're talking about like good, but not great, you know, and you went through all those different teams and all the different heartbreaks and that stuff mattered. It mattered a lot to all of us and to finally get over that mountaintop and, and, and like reach the pinnacle of sports for a team that like, I mean, dude, in, in what ways are the chiefs and the people that we think about the relationships that we've built because of the chiefs, like their family, like you, you in so many ways are my family. And so are all the guys that were in that room. And so many of the people that like in, in my heart and mind, I was close with like the, the chief's kingdom or whatever, man, I feel so close to so many people and, and to experience that together is something that I will cherish for the rest of my life. And I don't want you know, winning another Super Bowl or just how, how at peace I am to like not be meaningful. But to be honest, it just does not feel the same at all. And, and I do, I do miss that. I miss the fight. I miss the turmoil. I don't miss the hard times, but I miss how much everything meant because this season, while it's been awesome, um, even with all the COVID stuff and how weird it's all been, like it's still been an awesome year to watch because the team is so good. But like, does it feel like it matters as much to you? Because it doesn't to me. No, it's it's not even close. And you know, I, I expected that. Um, so as it's, I mean, the first one can never be topped. I think most people would just agree with that sentiment overall. But yeah, I, I mean, I definitely miss you know, just pouring my heart and soul into Chiefs games. I mean, those, those three hours on Sunday, it was just like, like getting ready for war. Like, let's, let's fucking do this. You boys better be ready. Fuck the opponent. We're coming to fight. Like, even as a fan feeling that way. And this year, it was just like, it, even if we lost, it was like, who cares? We're going to make the playoffs. I, going on the road doesn't matter. doesn't scare us at all. Like, there was nothing that really mattered until the playoff games. And then in the playoff games, we haven't really been that close outside of the Browns quarter and a half, which was my favorite time of the season so far. It was that quarter and a half and we had to gut it out because it was, the, it was the only time when I was like, I could feel it slipping away, which is what, what it used to be for 17 weeks. It used to be that feeling for 17 weeks, whereas this season really only felt that for right then and then maybe when the bills went up nine nothing but i I don't think most chiefs fans were scared i think they were they were mad at mccall and they were like okay let's go and if we wouldn't have scored on that drive maybe maybe it gets stressful then but as soon as we scored a touchdown it's just like all right it's on we got this we're better and and here we go so it's just it it's amazingly amazingly different to the point where 
regular season games now kind of feel like preseason games. It's just, just get ready for the playoffs. That's all that matters. And I always kind of, I always kind of had this thought about like the, the Peyton Manning led Colts teams because they kind of experienced theirs is a little different because they weren't winning, but they knew they'd make the playoffs and they knew every, and the only thing that mattered were, were those playoff games. So regular season games were just like, they couldn't be more meaningless. Like, it's just, we go out here, you know, it's fun to watch Peyton at work and he might do something magical today and maybe that'll be fun. But really none of this matters because of the weight Peyton Manning is carrying into the playoffs. Only the playoff game matters. That's the only thing we'll remember from Colts seasons is how they fare in the playoffs, which again is more of an NBA thing than, than anything. But the NFL is not supposed to have like a, that dominant of a team. Like it's just, it's the league is geared to not have a dominant team and the chiefs are just that dominant team. And it, and it comes from, you know, the perfect marriage of talent and everything. And it also came from, you know, the COVID led off season where the chiefs were able to re-sign guys that they wouldn't have been able to, if it was a normal off season, you know, Sammy Watkins comes to mind, Bashad Breland comes to mind. We, we weren't expecting these guys back, but the free agent market went kaputs because as soon as it opened, COVID was going on and everything was fucking weird. Nobody knew if we we're going to have a season or not. It was just a really weird circumstance that pretty much allowed us to bring everybody back and fully endorse the run it back theme of the season. Yeah. I mean, I think they said it was 20 of 22 starters came back. And one of the starters that didn't is going to start this Super Bowl, <laughs> Stefan Wisniewski. And the only other one that we didn't able, we weren't able to bring back was four. Logba, right. I mean, I'm got hurt. So, I think Kendall Fuller. I don't know if he would be a starter. Fuller, yeah, that's probably right. It's, I mean, it depends on how you how you run the defense, but yeah, and, and it's pretty much the exact same team. Whereas, and and it also hurt everybody else who was making changes because they weren't able to have a normal offseason and to instill everything, and and you know have a, a normal offseason to get to gel together. So it hurt the competitors while helping us. So it was just, I, I think it's a a really weird thing, and it's and it's. I mean, we should. You want to you want to dive into the offense? Just the perfect marriage between Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. Yeah. And I just don't know if we'll ever see anything like it again. It's just those that foursome. It's just it's unbelievable that the machine they've created. They're just they feel unstoppable. You know, I'm I'm sure that everyone has seen all the different statistics. I don't know if you have like a whole bunch of them compiled for us, but the stats are insane in terms of Mahomes, Tyreek and Kelsey, like that trio. I mean, and obviously you should include Andy Reid in that, but in terms of the guys that are actually accumulating these statistics, it wasn't just the regular season performances. It's now adding in the postseason. It was like, Travis Kelsey breaks the single season record for receiving yards for a tight end. And then after a couple games in the playoffs, Travis Kelsey breaks the tight end record for playoff stuff and season plus playoffs together. And it's like, it, it's every single time they seem to show up on the field. It's like, they're setting new records and people just, they don't, I don't even know how some other team is going to approach how historic this offense is 
I'm sure that you saw the breakdown that Nick did about the best trios or the, I guess it would be the best like two receiver teams. Um, and, and it looked like that really the one that we needed to go up against is the Rams with Isaac Bruce and Tory Holt. And they had the benefit of extra seasons. And so it was basically like, if the chiefs play at this rate for two or three more years, they're going to, Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill are going to be the best receiving duo in NFL history. And, you know, I, I look at some of this stuff and honestly, you know, as we talk about how good the team is and how some of these games, especially the regular season, how it's just kind of lost its luster. I actually am beginning to appreciate the fact that the AFC has so much young quarterback talent. And I'm, and I'm actually like, when I saw that report last night about Deshaun Watson, like the Raiders potentially trying to trade Derek Carr and line the things up for Deshaun Watson, that's exciting to me because honestly, I think that if Deshaun Watson was the Raiders quarterback and he and Mahomes played twice a year for basically the rest of their careers, it's the best thing that could happen to either of them. They're both so competitive that they're going to drive one another and they're going to constantly be competing. And Andy Reid and, and John Gruden, obviously, like they have their history too. I'm all for that. And, and really, I'm just kind of, it's almost, this sounds so weird, but it's like, I'm almost kind of rooting for some other AFC team to actually like rise up. Because if you think about like the Brady Manning rivalry, even though Tom Brady kind of dominated Peyton and Peyton only got one ring. And, and, you know, as long as Peyton, well, he, with the Colts at least. Um, but yes, too, you're pointing that out with, and, and I did, I don't know if that Broncos team ended up playing the Patriots. I don't think that they, they did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, Peyton got two, but Tom before Peyton retired, got what, four, five. So, I mean, it, it, in a lot of ways, it was a rivalry, but like Tom, clearly won it but like who who is gonna be the person in the AFC that drives Mahomes because there are so many different options but like none of them really seem that close and some of that as far as Deshaun is concerned it's not really his fault but like I really do want like a rival to rise up because otherwise what we're looking at is exactly what you said like the next 10 years is going to be we're waiting until January and everything that happens before that barring like some terrible injury doesn't matter that much. They're automatic to get to the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, you are really at a point where you're cheering for competition. Like when Justin Herbert comes out and he's like a stud, like, Oh hell yeah. He's going to be in our division. Like, yeah, that'll be fun. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you want competition. It's also leading to this weird other trend, which I think Mahomes is involved in and the, and the chiefs overall but this quarterback carousel that's heating up, it's it's almost like quarterbacks are looking at the Chiefs like, dude, there's no way we're going to beat them with what we have right now. Like Deshaun looks at his team, looks at the Chiefs. How the hell am I ever going to beat these guys? The Raiders look at the Chiefs. I mean, the Raiders are a solid team. They even beat the Chiefs. And now all of a sudden, they're thinking about trying to pursue Deshaun Watson and, and dumping Derek Carr. Like they had a solid team. They kind of fell apart again. Uh, but just these this constant carousel where all of a sudden teams are like, well, we're not really stacked up against the chiefs. Maybe we waited out. Like, remember when, remember when 
that was part of the Chiefs 2019 plan was that, hey, Peyton, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady will be long gone by then. Ben Roethlisberger will be long gone by then. You know, here we are, and Tom Brady is still here somewhat, somehow. Uh, but but that, was, that went into the Chiefs 2019 plan that I laid out. Like, hey, those guys will be gone by then, and so the AFC will be wide open. I think you're starting to get other teams to look at that. But just breaking down, the, the, going into a little more detail on each of these guys, I mean, just the timing and how all these guys lined up. Uh, I mean, you got Patrick Mahomes, who's not at his overall peak right now, but he is at his peak athleticism, which I think is his best trait. Like Patrick Mahomes' ability to escape the rush, to contort his arm to any angle, and just to, to think like a move or two ahead of the defender, like, okay, I'm going to move my eyes left, juke right, and then get around this defender and then sidearm this throw in there, and that's how I'm going to complete it. And it's just so natural to him. I don't know if that gets worse, but I think his athleticism, he's, he's at his most, most athletic time period right now. So I, I think he still gets better mentally and all that stuff, but there is a part of Patrick Mahomes that is at his best right now, I think. Tyreek Hill, he's the most explosive wide receiver of all time, but he needed to learn the nuances of the wide receiver position. If this is Tyreek Hill in his rookie or second year, he's not quite ready yet. Now, he's a complete receiver, and he can use that speed to its full advantage to take advantage of Mahomes' arm. Travis Kelsey, the same thing. He's a veteran now. He really needed to mature. He had, he had problems with drops early in playoff games. He, had, he was picking up 15-yard penalties in playoff games. Travis Kelsey has turned into like an absolute stud and just like an, a perfect representative of the Chiefs now, which five years ago, it, it was almost hard to see because it was just like, this dude needs to grow up. And then you got Andy Reid now in his second stint and his ability to adapt to today's NFL. He's gone for it on fourth down in these playoffs three times. And I don't think past Andy Reid would have done that. And it's really been just glossed over outside of the Chad Henney fourth and one complete balls to the wall. I mean, obviously that got all the attention, but these other ones, he went for a fourth down when the Chiefs are down nine, nothing to the Bills. I mean, that's not nothing. If he kicks a field goal there, that game might go different and the Chiefs might get tightened up if it stays close. Nope. We're going for it. We're getting it, scoring touchdown, and then we'll, we'll keep rolling. So Andy Reid's just ability to adapt and, and just to find all these pieces and glue them together. And then really, one story that nobody's talking about, the offensive line, which was the biggest fear coming into the 2020 playoffs. The one thing that could have derailed this Chiefs team was the offensive line falling apart and, and getting a couple big plays, stripping Mahomes or, or whatever. And really, they've, they've just been rock solid. They've just been solid across the board. I've been incredibly impressed with the offensive line in the 2020 playoffs. So the line is definitely outperforming expectation. Um, when I was listening to the AP nerd squad earlier this week, they were talking about how we are basically down to like our, what I think fourth and fifth options at tackle. Um, I mean, here's the deal. In the Super Bowl, we're going to start Mike Rimmers at left tackle, who we signed, I think, to be our swing tackle this offseason. He has zero snaps at left tackle since 2016. At left guard, we're starting your guy, Nick Allegretti, a seventh-round pick. At center, we're starting Austin Ryder, 
a seventh round pick. At right guard, we're starting Stefan Wisniewski, who was cut by Pittsburgh in November. Why did he get cut? Do you have any idea? Say what? Why did he get cut? I think he tore his pec and they put him on IR. And then when he was ready to play, Pittsburgh just decided we're going to cut you instead of activating you onto the roster. And I don't, I can't speak to, you know, what that has to do with whether it was them not thinking he was ready or them just not wanting him because other people had established themselves or what. But like, I think he got hurt before he was really even playing for them. And by the time he was back, they were just like, we don't really need you. But to finish out that starting offensive line is Andrew Wiley playing right tackle. And he was an undrafted free agent that has been a guard. Like all of the shuffling on this line and the fact that like, literally, I mean, you'd have to, I, I don't know when Mike Rimmers was drafted. He's been in the league for like 10 years, but I mean, people have, definitely pointed out how poorly he performed playing right tackle against Vaughn Miller in that Super Bowl when the, the Broncos beat the uh, the Panthers. And like, you know, but that's a guy that probably wasn't really a high draft pick either. Like all of these guys, they're, they're schmucks. And, and yet look at the level that they've been playing at. And to be able to weather these injuries, I know that this is the first that we're going to be playing without Fisher aside from, you know, the couple quarters against the bills. Um, and then I guess he did miss a little time earlier in the year. Cause Yasir Durant ended up finishing a game, but like to think that they lost both starting offensive tackles, both starting offensive guards, Austin Ryder is the only guy on this line that was a week one starter. That's it. Who, who were the two guards? Oh, week well, one? I, was, I was thinking of Tardif, but that's not fair because he opted out. I mean, I guess the other starter at right guard was probably Wiley. So yeah. I think Wiley was like, he's not starting at the position that he started at week one, but you know, we're, we're talking about a tremendous amount of turnover at, at, I guess a position group where continuity is usually the most important thing that people look for. Like you would rather have the same five offensive linemen be able to play together for, you know, 16 weeks than like have a bunch of stars on that line that are consistently getting injured and coming in and out of the lineup. And these are just things that you need to happen to be this great in the NFL because you can't just be elite at every position. So, you know, the Chiefs have their stars and they're paying their stars. They're paying their defensive line a ton. They're paying their offensive weapons a ton. So they have to skip somewhere else. So you look at the offensive line, even though they have the two guys right now, both their two guys are out. So the offensive line right now collectively is making zero money. And then you look at their corners too. Bashad Breeland, I mean, it's it's an extremely important position. A lot of teams are just sinking money into this. The Chiefs go cheap and, you know, hope to get by kind of thing. Bashad Breeland signs an under the market contract and he's been great. Uh, Charvarius Ward, he's solid. What's up? He's done that twice, right? Because like they signed Breland to not very much after he had a poor season in Green Bay, and they just signed him to to another deal for like whatever one year extension. But it was you know peanuts after having an interception in the Super Bowl and and ending a game against Tom Brady with a pass deflection and like constantly coming up in big moments. 
He was clearly our best corner last year, best corner on the team that wins the Super Bowl and can play consistently well all year long. And for whatever reason, teams still didn't want him. I bet the Chiefs were thrilled to be like, oh, there's not a market for Bashad Breland. They were, I was expecting him to be gone because somebody was going to pony up and give him a bunch of money. And when nobody came calling, it was like, holy crap, Bashad Breland's coming back? Yes. Yeah, and it was it was a weird offseason. Yeah, or it's just yeah, and I, I don't think anybody expected to get him back. And then you got Charvarius Ward, who I think takes his licks, but he's still solid and he's not making any money. And then you got Legarius Sneed who comes on and he appears to be a complete and total stud and he's making fourth round rookie money. So he's getting nothing. You got Rashad Fenton in there. So it's like they're getting by on these patchwork positions and, and that's how they're playing at such a high level because they're, they have these units that are playing together and, and I don't know, I think Andy Reid gets a lot of credit for the offensive line because I think he can coach him up and I think he can help with scheme. And I think Mahomes gets some credit too because he's, his ability to uh, maybe shift the pocket around or shift the line around and then maybe avoid the rush. With the defensive backs, I don't really, this is two years in a row that they've done this. I, I don't know whether to credit Emmett Thomas. I don't know whether to credit uh, Steve Spagnolo. I don't know whether. Sam Madison now. Oh, Emmett Thomas is not around. He retired. Oh, yeah. Sam Madison is the D-backs coach. He, ha- I think he has been since Spagnolo came in. But this has just been kind of a thing since Andy Reid got here. We've just always had defensive backs, corners playing above their pay grade. Um, and I don't really totally understand it, uh, but it's it's been a grace. I'll say that. I, You know, you have to wonder about potentially some kind of organizational philosophy and I don't want to get too into the weeds here but like it to try to put as fine a point on it as possible we've spent two years eviscerating our guy Brett Veach because it's like what are you what are you doing at corner how do you keep avoiding arguably the most important position in on the defense and like you know probably the most difficult position to play in sports consistently being out there on an Island. And yet like for whatever reason, and I don't know, I, I definitely want to give a tremendous amount of credit to Steve Spagnolo. I need to, I need to just like take a moment and formally apologize, not just to him, but really like to the, to the listeners of amateur hour and people that like trusted my opinion, because I was staunchly against the Steve Spagnolo hire. I thought at best, like this is just room temperature tap water. We're recycling a guy that, you know, used to be great, but it was always based on talent. And like the difference between the way that this defense has played under Spagnolo and the way that defenses were playing under Bob Sutton at the end, Bob Sutton certainly had his moments, but dude, it's unbelievable how they're performing. And we're talking about, especially when you look at like some of the talent, like deficiencies that they have on that defense, like people have been screaming about Ben Neiman for the last two seasons that guy played in the Super Bowl, and he's about to play in another one. And like, even if we think it's a problem, game after game after game, here they are. 
you know, and it's like they they just there's there's something that is so special about what Spagnolo has done. And and I don't know if it's just the fun contrast between us being amateurs and and calling Steve Spagnolo a professional, but like that's kind of kind of like what it has felt like. We were all so frustrated with Bob Sutton that the transition from Sutton over to Spagnolo, he's just breathed new life into that side of the ball. And it's like we suddenly respect what is happening defensively again. And I will, I will point out very specifically that there's something to, I don't know how best to like put this into words, but man, think about the fact that there is there when they get into the playoffs they've just turned it up man like there was so i i had if i had like real concerns about what the team was capable of this year you know i know when you and i would you know be in the group chat and stuff you would talk about the offensive line like if there is a thing that might make the chiefs lose this year I could see it being, you know, a game where Mahomes is just running for his life the whole time and can't seem to to have the magic. And that's because of all these different injuries on the offensive line. And I kept thinking like, man, the defense is just like not getting it done, you know, and to see how they've performed against, I know the Browns are the Browns. I know that they really, really took that and ran when Chase Claypool said that, but like the Browns are the Browns and <clears throat> with the bills, I, I didn't really know what to make of that team because they were so hot at the end of the year. And then they, they really seemed to kind of tank in the playoffs, but like this defense is performing at a level in the playoffs that they did not even like scratch the surface of in the regular season. And I don't know if that speaks to Frank Clark and Tyron Matthew, if that speaks to Steve Spagnuolo, but like, Dude, they get it, and they're they've just turned it on. They're unbelievable. Yeah, maybe maybe the weirdest stat that I came across that I this is a good time to highlight, and I would have never guessed this. The Chiefs' offense was sixth in points per game this year, which seems wild. I can't I can't believe that they were sixth. The defense was tenth. The defense was was hardly below the offense for the entire season. It's just like I saw that. I was like, what? How is that possible? But yeah, the Chiefs sixth sixth in scoring offense, tenth in scoring defense Maybe for the entire season. Like like frustrated about some of the glamour stats. I mean, obviously Matthew had a great year with the interceptions, and he pretty much called a shot on that. I mean, I don't know. He talked about like the number of dropped interceptions that he had last year, and he finished this year with eight or something like that. I mean, he's up there. He's got a lot, and so I don't know if he ended up having a bunch of uh, you know any any memorable dropped interceptions um this season but like he he's turned it on but the sacks i mean the sacks just simply weren't there but now that we're in the postseason it's like they just have another gear and the fact that shuffling through so many of these like oddball pieces you know you talked about the corners and i mean even even at safety it's like they've suddenly made Daniel Sorensen like not everyone's least favorite player. Um, and, and to see 
how well Anthony Hitchens has turned the corner in the Steve Spagnolo defense. And I mean, they're just consistently getting production from all of these unorthodox pieces. Remember Taco Charlton? That guy was fantastic before he got hurt, you know? And, and we've been, I know you were really waiting for like Tano to kind of have a breakout and he's just been steady and solid. And he hasn't really been able to, I think like turn the corner, but no, you're shaking your head. No, Tano. I, I thought he's been at least like, I'll say when I say steady and solid, what I mean is like, he's not a liability against the run. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't tell you that much. I, I did think Pastino would have a breakout year. I've always been impressed when he's been on the field and I never thought he got enough snaps. Mm-hmm. And I just thought playing a, alongside Chris Jones and Frank Clark this year and Alex Okafor kind of coming back from the injury, I think, and, and wasn't quite available. But, like, this all sets up for Passigno to be the guy that sneaks in there and gets, like, 10 sacks this year. And he's really been just invisible. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I whiffed on that one. I'm glad we didn't have a podcast, so I would have been spitting that one out. <laughs> well, so, uh, you know, think about some of the guys that have contributed, you know, like Turk Wharton. That guy's unbelievable. Honestly, the way that he runs, like how athletic he is, but still being kind of stocky, he runs like Bobby Boucher. He looks like the water boy, the way that he runs out there. And because of his speed, like he's chasing guys down 20 yards down the field. And this is a guy that played at like Missouri science and technology or something, you know, and, and to, to, for them to be able to identify talent in that way and then bring them in and be able to develop them and get them game ready in such a, like, dude, think about the way that the rookies on that defense have performed. Legarius Sneed and then an undrafted guy in Turk Wharton, the way that they've played without an offseason. And think about Sneed, man. This is a guy that played corner in 2018, safety in 2019, comes into the Chiefs in 2020 with a very tough transition from Louisiana Tech to the Kansas City Chiefs. And he has to start kind of learning or relearning a new position after what, six games? breaks his fucking collarbone i've broken my collarbone that's like one of the most painful terrible things that can happen to you and what he comes back like six or seven weeks later plays a new position in the slot and continues to be you know what people are now saying like that guy has performed like a top 10 pick and and he's our best pass rusher now (laughs) yeah right I don't, I don't understand it, but he's living in the backfield now. I saw a quote from him that he said he had never blitzed before. Like, <laughs> like I, I, they just started asking me to do it, and apparently I'm good. <laughs> I, smell, I smell a new position for him next year, and that's edge. We need a new edge. Put Legereus Sneed there. He'll figure it out. I just, I'm just consistently in awe of what they're doing on that side of the ball, and, and I really don't know – it's like I want to try to point to different individuals, but they they keep getting performances from unlikely candidates. And they are almost like, you know, you think about that saying, like the the whole being better than the sum of the parts or however that word. I don't I don't know exactly the, the wording on that, but like they kind of seem like the poster children for that because yeah, we do have these individual guys that are clearly well-respected in terms of Tyron Matthew and Frank Clark, but like there are a bunch of guys on this team that if they were free agents, 
I don't know what kind of money they would command. And we've seen that. We've seen that because they just were able to bring back Damian Wilson. They were able to bring back Bashad Breland. And like guys just not having a market. And yet they play for this team. They plug into their roles and they do their jobs at, at the very least well enough. Right. But I think that there are a lot of guys on that defense that have exceeded expectation. And I just, I, it's like I get more and more impressed every single week. And if I do had to like, like point the finger at one specific guy, some of it, it's, I, I want to say Spagnolo, I do, but I think I have to give it to Matthew, man. And, and the reason that, I, it's really starting to kind of take hold. You retweeted that clip of him from All or Nothing when he was 23 years old, having that conversation with those players. Think about the guys that were in that room. Patrick Peterson, Calais Campbell. Like, they're, they're borderline Hall of Famers that he's talking to like that. And everyone in that room is just staring at him, speechless, like completely captivated by what that young man was doing. And I mean, I think that there are people that look at Matthew and, and whether it's just snark or what, I don't know, but like, they think it's some shtick. Like, I don't want to hear him run his mouth anymore, but like, dude, Tyron Matthew is such a special guy. And, and, and I don't care what anybody says, like there, the, the resume is there. He's going to the hall of fame. He's already been an all decade player. And, and he's the, you know, the best and most important player on a defense that is going to go to their second straight, you know, probably win their second straight Super Bowl. Like there, there's nothing more that he could do. He's going to be a hall of fame player. And I just, God, I love him. How could you not? Yeah. And and not to mention, I mean, everybody loves him and that's going to help his hall of fame case. I mean, other players in the NFL, I'm not sure if there's another player that more players look up to. And you can just tell from Twitter. And it's just other players around the NFL just reaching out to Honey Badger. And it's just, he just like caught everybody's attention in college and was just like such a playmaker. And he's just been so beloved ever since. And in rewatching the Super Bowl last night, a nugget that I didn't really remember um, was that Andy Reid chose Tyron Matthew as the player to address the team the night before the Super Bowl, which I didn't remember that being a thing. And it just seems that's, that's wild. I mean, I've, all, I've always gotten off, as I'm sure people on this that, that listen to this podcast know, to who addresses the team. I love the pregame speeches when someone, when they all gather around, it used to be Eric Berry uh, and just numerous other guys that they lead in the speech because that's the leader. And Tyra Matthew is definitely that leader. He's just... He's that dude. And, and you can see him take it up another notch in the playoffs. I mean, look at Matthew just fuck with receivers in playoff games. Dude, he gets so mouthy and he'll just he'll just kind of tackle you extra hard and push you down when he's getting up. Like he is just there to fuck with the opposition and he's just all the way in the game. And, and it's I fucking love it. I, I love his attitude. And he kind of coasted throughout the season. And I don't even blame him. I don't even blame him because because he's he sees what we're seeing. He knows what's up. Save his body, save your energy, save your body for that for that postseason, man. That's when we need you, and and he's done that. And then a couple other guys just on the defense that I wanted to highlight since we've kind of gone around the uh, the whole defense. Anthony Hitchens mm-hmm. had his best season by far. He's played himself up to league average, I would say, which is a 
a huge boost from what we're used to with Anthony Hitchens. And I'm not trying to shit on him. I like Hitchens. Uh, I mean, the only thing not to like about him is his contract. But, I mean, he gives us all. Uh, I've always, maybe I haven't always enjoyed him. I've enjoyed watching him on the field this year. I'll say that. And I think he's, he's a plus for the team at this point in his career, which is good to see because two years ago, I mean, there's no one I came down har- on harder than, than Anthony Hitchens and Brett Veach because of that, because he gave him that kind of money. And then Juan Thornhill, who really took a step back all season. And then all you see after the Bills game is the type of game that Juan Thornhill played. And, and just the possibilities that opens up. And now, and now you're looking at the kind of when the Chiefs last year had all those safety slash corner hybrids, and it just kind of opened up these possibilities of what they can do on defense. And now Juan Thornhill's bringing that back to the table, and it's just a huge missing piece for the Chiefs. And great to see because he'll be plugged in for, for the Chiefs for the next eight years or whatever. I mean, it's only his second year in the league, so it's, it took him this, – and this is normal to see when someone has a major injury like a knee like that it usually takes a year to get back and then they're back to themselves. And I think we're just getting that like a few games early before next year when he should be back to himself. So that's really good to see. I got to be candid, man. I was really worried about him because he had a great game against new England in like week five or week six. And I was like, okay, Juan Thornhill ready to go. This guy's back. And then, you know, just kind of, puttered out and got to a point where they called him what did they call him like a, a role player or something I don't I don't know what it was but it was like this guy's not a starter like he's contributing but I mean I think that there were games where Juan Thornhill was like not getting defensive snaps and I don't know if it's about motivation or if you know someone like Tyron Matthew comes to him and has a talk with him or is consistently just trying to help him and pick him up but like Thornhill at at points this year it felt like he had bottomed out and I was genuinely worried about whether or not we were ever going to see him play at the level that he was playing toward the end of last season before he got hurt and man he was all over the field against the Bills and I hope that that is not an aberration I hope that that's what we can get used to because God what he does being that that center fielder, being that guy on the back end of the defense, but he can still like line up and play man against people, as we saw in that game against the Bills. Like what he does, the kind of flexibility that he gives them, they become instantly so much more dangerous and so much more multiple defensively. Like Juan Thornhill is is can take them to new heights. He's that type of player. All right, let's. You want to pivot a little bit? You want to play? I got some some hot takes lined up here, and a little segment I'd like to call "Too Hot for Teacher." Want to play a little "Too Hot for Teacher"? It's gonna be too hot for you. I don't know if you'll be able to handle it because I'm a teacher. Because you're a teacher. Okay, too hot for teacher. Well, when I hear that song, I don't know about you. All I think of is the the teacher in Varsity Blues when she's at the strip club dancing to that song and they're like, Oh my God, (laughs) it's all I can think of. It's that song and that movie. Well, good news. Cause I'm about to 1999. I'm about to put on a a strip tease for you to that song. And that will be too hot for teacher. Okay. Let's cue it up. (laughs) 
It's amateurish. You know. Yeah, that's enough. I was waiting for him to scream, but I I couldn't. I lost patience. Oh yeah! Oh man, I had my headphones way too loud for you to scream. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. I'm gonna buy some hot takes off you and just see what you think. Andy Reid gonna be a better NFL head coach when it's all said and done than Bill Belichick this take made its way around a little bit Colin Coward kind of made this week but here's the case Andy Reid's gonna be piling championships he just has to get within the ballpark of achievements of Bill Belichick it's been a tough week for old Billy Boy this week you got Matt Stafford refusing to go there you got Amendola giving more credit to Brady than Belichick. You might have the next five years of the Patriots not making the playoffs. I mean, what if that happens? And then you got the argument, Andy Reid was better without his all-time quarterback than Bill Belichick was without his all-time quarterback. And then one more factor, which I'm not sure should matter, but it's there. Does coaching tree matter? Because Andy Reid has meant more to the NFL than Bill Belichick because of the way he's influenced the game and because of the way all of his little branches have spread throughout the league. So Andy Reid ends up a better NFL head coach than Bill Belichick. Too hot? Um, it's not too hot. And if I can riff on this for a moment, um, I isn't there one of those, this is another one of those sayings that I might not have the wording right, but like, is it better to be feared or respected? Um, and I, I will say this, that like, I think that Andy Reid is truly, genuinely respected. He's also feared. He strikes fear into the hearts of defenses everywhere. But I think that Andy Reid is more like beloved than somebody like Bill Belichick. And, oh. and it's because with Bill Belichick, you only get these like fleeting moments of personality you know, like everyone talks about how how endearing it was to see him get all excited during that Ed Reed thing on NFL Network, talking about that Ed Reed play. And he's like giggling and so excited. It's the best thing I've ever seen. But like you get so little from Belichick all the time. And to me, like people, I think, fear what Belichick is capable of. But like, honestly, the thing that I find really surprising in that list of stuff that you brought off was Amendola's comment, because it wasn't just saying that like Brady was more important or whatever. He said the Patriot way is Tom Brady. Like, wait, wait what? All of these guys that have left New England – I mean, all the way down to former Chiefs general manager, Scott Pioli, every time that somebody was hired, it was, we're bringing the Patriot way to Kansas City or Detroit or Denver or wherever. And and Amendola, like kind of a very like classic Patriot, not just because he's a white wide receiver, but like that just kind of try hard guy. And, and 
he's he was in Detroit with Patricia and like all of the other recycled Patriots. Like he clearly has bought in to Patriot way. And then he comes out and says, of all people, Amendola, no, the Patriot way is Tom Brady. That right there, my friend, that might be too hot for teacher. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. If if I could be frank, I completely disagree. I think the Patriot way is definitely Bill Belichick. Uh, I think when you look at their Super Bowls, the first three they were defensive led, and you know Brady was was good, especially in the final two, but not first one. He's just like a rookie. Uh, but they were definitely a defensive led team. And then in their last one, I mean, they won the Super Bowl thirteen to three. So I think I think that was more of a defensive team too. So I I think it's the the knocking on Bill Belichick's a little silly to me. But I will gladly lead into it because I adore Andy Reid. Yeah, All right. I, I, how about this? I will take Andy Reid over Bill Belichick. I might be biased, but who cares? It, it will get interesting if Bill Belichick sucks for the next five years. And that's, that's when it could get interesting. And if Andy Reid can just ring up like three or four titles. So it's like he can kind of enter the conversation. All right. There's something to the fact that like I think there is a little bit more – arrogance from Belichick than there is from Andy Reid. It seems like there's a certain level of humility and maybe it's because people would say that like Andy Reid has been humiliated. He went to four Super Bowls and, or four, I guess four NFC championship games and like they just continued to lose and they had all the time management issues and everything else. Whereas Belichick went into this season expecting broken cam newton and or jared stidham to you know be valuable for them and like if the patriots don't take seriously the fact that they need a quarterback and you know honestly an entire offense i mean you can look at it now that brady's gone and see that he's obviously stepped into a really nice situation not only with a hall of fame coach but with some really talented offensive weapons and, and know that, like, Brady stepped up with the talent around him. But, man, the Patriots, in a lot of ways, over the last, you know, X number of years, they've been really poorly run. That roster sucks, man. It's not good. And I know they had a bunch of guys opt out this year, and that probably affected things. But I don't know. I, I do think that there is something to the Brady-Belichick thing that, you might we might might be teetering towards Tom Brady being much more important than than Bill Belichick. We'll see. All right, we kind of you discussed you brought this one up earlier. I swear I had it in my notes before Nick did a segment on it. But the best receiving duo of all time. So I'm going to bring up some candidates here, and of course I'm talking about Tyreek and Kelsey here. Randy Moss and Chris Carter. They were the most dominant, and I think the most talented. But they're only together for four years. Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne. Uh, I think Marvin had the best hands I've ever seen. Reggie Wayne was kind of solid all around, but the knock on them to me, they're a little too similar. They're a little too similar, so it's not you don't get the uh, the spice to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, I think Marvin Harrison's legal trouble hurts him in the argument. I mean, it, does that does that even? Count? <laughs> I think he just threatened enough people that he never actually had legal trouble. <laughs> I just wanted to bring up legal trouble in an argument for Tyreek Hill. That's what I wanted to do. Uh, yeah, Isaac Bruce and Tory Holt, they were kind of the most consistent and put up the best numbers, but I don't know if they were dominant enough. And I think the 1A weapon on that team 
was Marshall Falk. So I think that that kind of knocks them down because they weren't the top dog. Then you have Lynn Swan and something Stallworth. Uh, yeah. Lance? No. John Stallworth, I think. John. How about Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown? I don't care. I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> not, that's not too hot for teacher, actually. <laughs> Uh, I I have to see the actual volume um, in terms of like receiving that Le'Veon did, but Antonio Brown's six or seven season stretch with Pittsburgh is maybe the best in NFL history. It it like it actually rivals Jerry Rice. It's unbelievable, and I know people hate him, but like a- Antonio Brown was unreal on on another planet. So good. So I just I just wanted to bring them up because they're both randomly playing in this game, yeah. which is very weird. And they also might combine for like 16 yards in this game. Wasn't wasn't there a uh, wasn't there a the Paul Rudd? Look at us with the two. It was like Le'Veon and Antonio Brown meeting before the game. <laughs> so I think I think the Colton Rams receivers they're a little too similar. I think they're knocked down. I think the argument comes down to Randy Moss and Chris Carter against Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. And the case for Tyreek and Travis Kelsey is that they'll be adding three years of production to what they've already done, and their numbers are already off the charts. I think Travis Kelsey ends up as the best ever at his position, and I think Tyreek Hill ends up as arguably the most dangerous receiver ever, and if not the most, then top two. To Randy Moss. So I think it comes down to those two. They only had four years together. You might be looking at eight years of Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey um, if longevity impresses you at all. Isn't Tyreek only 25 too? Maybe 26? I mean, the the biggest concern that you have is how long is Travis Kelsey going to continue to play in terms of like racking up those numbers. But I think he's actually going to age pretty gracefully for as athletic as he is and how unique it makes him. Travis Kelsey is in you know, a lot of ways kind of like a unicorn, but like, dude, he's so smart with the way that he moves his body that like, I don't think it's so much about speed or so much about like being able to out jump guys. He's just smart, dude. Like, and some of it is the basketball in him too. When you see the way that he catches the ball and then like makes people miss, like, dude, Travis Kelsey has uncanny after the catch ability to just like make defenders look silly. And it's 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 really a wonder to behold when he's doing that at the size that he is. He's he's a special guy. Really special. And he's doing this in back-to-back weeks against number one cornerbacks. And not just number one cornerbacks, but really good number one cornerbacks. Tredavious White and Denzel Ward. He made Denzel Ward looks so foolish that was maybe my favorite play ever you had browns asking for an offensive pass interference when there is there is not a single point of contact it's just nope he just broke his ankles and he is laying on the ground travis kelsey should have caught the pass turned back and like dunked it on denzel ward uh if we would have really fulfilled our uh obligation as an nba team here that's what that's what he should have done did you did you see i want to say that it was like from you know, inside the NFL or whatever, when they have everybody mic'd up, I'm pretty sure that it was from the playoff game, not from the game earlier in the year, but they had Gilmore and Jordan Poyer. Um, or did I just say, I was thinking Stefan Gilmore, but it's uh, uh, Tredavious White 
and Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, like all sitting on the bench after the long play that Tyreek had. And they were just like, how do you, what do you, I don't, he's, he's just so much faster than any person I've ever played against. They're like, what do you do? It's like, yeah, he's, uh, he's good. He's real good. That, that was one of the more ridiculous plays I think I've ever seen. Just the, the way he made everybody miss. I, I, I just watched with my mouth agape, just in awe. Like, oh yeah, watching the dots. Tackle him, fucking dot. Fucking tackle him, dot. Dive. I thought the dots version was really, really great. The other thing, and I never saw it. I saw the next gen stats about like what speed he hit or whatever. But like the field is 53 and a half yards from sideline to sideline. And now Tyreek was lined up in the slot. So he wasn't like all the way wide. But he ran from outside of one hash mark almost all the way to the sideline and then all the way back and went out of bounds on the other side of the field. So we're talking about that is at least like 75 yards on a 71-yard game. He ran like 150 yards on that play. And, it, and, and you know, it was funny. Did you hear – uh, I was listening to uh, the the at the podium or whatever it is when you get to get all the press conferences that Arrowhead Pride posts, and uh, they they were asking Tyreek about like what was the difference between the first quarter against Tampa and then like the rest of the game, and he said I was tired of running. <laughs> I was like Tyreek, man, this guy, I love him. And he then complimented Todd Bowles and some of the guys that were playing against him. He said they made some adjustments, but he was like, he stood, his first response was, I got tired. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, you had 200 plus yards receiving in a quarter. So, all right, next hot take the upcoming Super Bowl is the biggest NFL game of all time. And people might not see it yet, but it might be between the two greatest quarterbacks of all time. On the biggest stage, it's the biggest NFL game of all time. So the the version of this take that is making the rounds is all about legacy. And I figured at some point we would probably land here because at least in you know a lot of the podcasts that I've listened to, that's where most people, it sounds like, have kind of been kicking off their shows is talking about what this means. There's a great quote, uh, a great tweet from Rainy Gisarly that said, it's not an exaggeration to say that in terms of Mahomes' legacy, this Super Bowl will be the biggest game of his career. Because if he wins, then like actual GOAT is in play. But if Brady wins a seventh at Mahomes' expense, when Brady is 43, a lot of people are going to hold that as a tiebreaker between them forever. And, and I do think that Rainey's not wrong in that. The other thing that I heard that I thought was actually like really compelling, and I might butcher this, so forgive me. And if you're not listening to Charles Robinson and Therese Paler, then you should do that. But Therese, after the AFC Championship game, once we knew the Super Bowl matchup, he said, if Brady wins this, he has an argument to be the greatest athlete of all time. Like he he supersedes Jordan seven NFL championships with the last one coming in his first year 
with a new team at age 43? That's Michael Jordan winning a ring with the Wizards, which clearly did not happen. You know, he's talking about the real greatest of all time status. And there will always be people like Muhammad Ali or Michael Jordan or whatever that are going to, you know, be able to lay claim to that. But like seven championships in the NFL, that would be, I, I don't see it happening for the record, but I do think that this is, I mean, did you say greatest? Is that the word that you used? The greatest game in NFL history? I used biggest. Biggest. Greatest, I think, would, would factor in the quality of the game. So we don't know that yet. Yeah, I mean, I do I do think that it's it's maybe the most important if you want to talk specifically about like NFL lore. I mean, Mahomes is setting up to be right there with Brady. And so I mean that's that's why I think that that uh, Rainy Gisarly tweet like frames it really well. You know, like this could be yep. the most important game of Mahomes' career. Yeah, and I, I, I do kind of, I mean, I see that, and I, I, I get the uh, logic. Uh, I don't necessarily like all the legacy stuff, personally. It's just kind of too reductive for me to just boil it down to that. Um, but there are some fun parallels, like Jordan-LeBron parallels, whereas that, that's, that's the debate in the NBA. But we never got to see it. This is this is basically like if Michael Jordan was with the Wizards and they were competing at the finals level and then got to go up against like third year LeBron or something. Mm-hmm. But that never happened, but we we kind of get it here in the NFL. So I mean, it's pretty amazing and it's fun and but I don't I don't I don't like it's not fun to me to like reduce it like that to like if Bra- if Mahomes loses this game, he could never be the GOAT because he couldn't catch him in championships. It's just like I don't, that's not, that's not fun for me, but I mean, I, I get the conversation, but it's just, that's just like a, I hate like NBA conversations like that. Like I think the, personally, I think the Jordan versus LeBron debate is, is the worst thing I can possibly listen to. Like I, it just hurts my, my head to listen to. So I don't want it to become that even though, so, but I get it. I, I think that it's worth pointing out and, and Andy is never negative. I don't know if I've ever heard Andy Reid say something that you could construe as like, oh, wow, that was that was kind of harsh. And he's he's just consistently complimentary, certainly of his own players, but like of every team. I mean, Andy Reid comes up to the podium in a week that we're going to play like a, a two and nine team and says we look forward to the challenge of playing, you know, whoever. And so I don't want to blow this out of proportion but Andy Reid being the man that he is and having the the kind of experience and the kind of um, tenure in the NFL that he does when he was on Coward he did mention he said you know look we played Tom Brady when I was in Philadelphia 16 years ago and I watch him this season and like he really doesn't look that different and I I can't disagree with him, man. Like there were times that I watched Tom Brady play this year and I was like, holy cow, the guy has still got it in ways that I never expected. He outperformed my expectations in Tampa, like exponentially better than I thought he was going to be. 
Yeah, it's it's incredibly impressive. I would not have guessed that he had this much success this season, nor any season for the last, well, I don't know what you want to call it, six years. I mean, we've been waiting for the end. Like, surely it has to end at some point. And we all kind of laughed when he said he's going to play till 45. And yet here he is at 43, and now he's talking about playing beyond 45. Yeah. But Tom Brady, in that first half last week, he was absolutely on point. And the only thing that was hurting him was receivers dropping a couple passes. But every throw he made was was just a dart. It was right on target. His second half was pretty shaky. But, man, that first half, I was like, holy shit, look at this guy. Well, and, I mean, some of this maybe take with a grain of salt because he is the most well-known Patriots fan and kind of insufferable in that way. But Simmons talked after that game, and he said that the throw Brady made to Scotty Miller might be the best throw that Tom Brady has made in his career. And Bill Bell, or Bill, uh, Bill Simmons has watched literally every second of Tom Brady's NFL career at a level that, like, most people don't watch football. He has ob- obsessed over everything that Brady has ever done, and maybe it is an exaggeration on his part, but to say that a pass Tom Brady threw in the NFC Championship game at 43 years old might be the best pass of his career it just speaks to what Brady is doing. And Andy made the joke that like, there might be something in that avocado ice cream or whatever. Like I got to get some of that, but like it's what Brady is doing defies logic in every possible way. It's amazing. It it is amazing. I don't like him very much, but like it's hard to not be tremendously impressed with the way that he's played this year. I see. I got no problem with Brady. He's, he's clearly hated and that will lead into this uh, next hot take and the final one that we got here. Um, but another interesting thing that Simmons said, uh, which caught my, caught my ear was that he thought Mahomes could catch Brady as the best quarterback of all time, which I thought was interesting. I mean, he's the ultimate Brady Homer and just admitting that he thought Mahomes could actually catch him, which was, that's, that's a statement. I mean, that's, that's something, but the last statement here, the last hot take too hot for teacher. This will be the most one-sided fan rooting interest of any Super Bowl in NFL history. Because who is rooting for the Bucs? They don't even have fans. I keep seeing tweets. I can't find any Buccaneers fans. I, I, I feel like I haven't seen any. So then you get the casual fan. Nobody likes Brady. Everybody's tired of it. I don't, I, I don't mind Brady, but the perception of him... He is strongly, strongly disliked. Like even Raiders of Broncos fans that I have talked to, they have their beef with Brady. They want to see him lose, even though it'd be the Chiefs winning. Hmm. And I just, I don't think people hate the Chiefs yet. I've seen some people kind of say that people, that, that there's some hatred of the Chiefs. I don't think people hate the Chiefs yet. I think people still like the Chiefs. It's coming. It's coming, but they're not there yet. So I think I just, I feel like 90% of the country is going to be rooting for the Chiefs in this game. And it's, it might be the most one-sided we've ever seen. I could see that. Um, so there's, there's a couple things to it. Um, I definitely think that like young people, the way that they cheer for athletes instead of teams, this is definitely a thing that I, I think is kind of a new evolution in sports. And I don't know if it speaks to like the player empowerment in the NBA or what, but like, People are LeBron fans and they could care less if LeBron plays in Cleveland or Miami or LA or whatever. And so I think that that's starting to bleed into some of the other sports. And when you talk about 
people like Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and, you know, whomever, Ty, you know, Tyron Matthew, obviously, you've got all these different guys that are so compelling. Mahomes, chief among them. But I think that there is definitely something to the idea that, like, young people in general are going to root for Patrick Mahomes because he's just the most fun guy to watch. I don't – I mean – to think that like 90% of people are, are going to be cheering for the chiefs. That feels a little bit strong, but it's hot. Yes, it is. It is a little hot. It's a little hot, but come on, teach. Think about, think about this. You know, you mentioned that with this kind of like Brady hate that exists that even people, you know, for the Raiders and Broncos fans that you know are are saying like I would rather cheer for the Chiefs than Tom Brady at this point. Some of that might just be because we've seen enough of Brady, right? And so I think that what's happening a little bit with the Chiefs is that people haven't seen enough yet. We we definitely aren't in that category of like being hated. But I do think that there are fans that are starting to get to like a little bit of Chiefs fatigue, you know, um, and and but but soon enough, we will be the villains. There's no question about that. And I will embrace it and I'll be more than happy to to live that life for a while. But it, they are kind of teetering, but they're not there yet. They're not there yet. And, and you know, it what will be interesting is because as fandom has kind of evolved like if Mahomes is just the guy that he is for the next 10 years like how hated can they actually be if people are just going to like gravitate towards greatness and we're talking about Mahomes at 25 years old having a shot at being the greatest ever because oh I don't know in one year that he didn't make the Super Bowl he won the NFL MVP um it's it's remarkable what he's doing. The fact that we could even be having this conversation about a 25-year-old speaks to how great he's been. Um, none of that really has anything to do with like it being the most lopsided fan rooting interest in a Super Bowl ever. Um, I mean, do you think hey, if you if you want to appreciate Patrick Mahomes, go ahead. No one's nobody's gonna stop you. If you want to just sit back and start <laughs> waxing poetic about Patrick Mahomes. I'm sure that there are people back home saying like listen ryan we've heard enough of patrick mahomes and we've heard enough of you too <laughs> like yeah I'm, i i i know that that's not a problem for most in the audience um but it, i think about this and like if we're just trying to make an argument against your your hot point you're too hot for teacher do you think that like any of those 90s bills teams how about like the fourth when they got to the Super Bowl for the fourth time, that there wasn't like everybody is rooting for the Bills just because you feel bad. I mean, it seems like here we are 25 years later and all these people were rooting for the Bills just because they felt bad. I mean, they're our brethren, you know? We talk about some of those tortured fan bases and like, I wasn't rooting for the Bills when they played the Chiefs, but I was rooting for them every other week this year. So, I, you know, there's something... Yeah. I love the Bills, and there was like the tiniest part of me who, when Patrick Mahomes got hurt, like we're actually going to see a Cleveland Browns Buffalo Bills AFC Championship game. 
and that would have just been like, like the Chiefs would have lost, and that would have been like horrible, obviously. But man, that AFC Championship game, just like, whoa, that's fantastic! Like, could not draw it up. You put a stat out the other day, just kind of riffing on uh, these tortured fan bases. You put a stat out the other day that had the Vikings in like the top five of wins all time. Is that right? Third in wins in NFL history. Yeah, in the in the Super Bowl era, I would have never guessed. Never did they did they win a Super Bowl in the seventies? They it was just like close, but no cigar. They've never won one. Yeah, I think they're like zero and four in the Super Bowl. That's they're kind of on the outskirts of the tortured brethren. Uh, they've had a lot of heartbreak, and they've never won a, ch- a championship. Okay, they're one of a like a small number of teams that that haven't won a championship. Okay, but man, they've certainly racked up the wins. That's what Kirk Cousins will get you, man. Get you all them wins, QB wins. Hey, can we? I thought I really screwed it up at the beginning of the show because you know we got so distracted by the. Should we do it. Should we do it again? Should we redo it? I can play it again if you want. But like, no, let's just start the show over. <laughs> this is the rough draft. I I was I was really hoping to try to steer into the bit that like, hey, the only reason that we're back is because we need to talk about Matt Stafford. Uh, <laughs> you we did we did talk a little briefly about these teams like wanting to go into this kind of QB carousel because they need to figure out how to beat the chiefs, how to beat Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill. Like, is there a move out there with all of the potential stuff that could be happening at the quarterback position this off season that would actually scare you? No, I mean, I wouldn't say scare me because it's, it's just like you said earlier, we're, we're at a point where it's just welcoming the competition. It's not like, it's not like the 2013 chiefs where we're like, man, if Peyton Manning gets hurt, we got a real shot to win the Super Bowl. There you go. It's, it's more like, hey, if Deshaun Watson gets on the 49ers, that, that's a hell of a squad right there. Yeah. And, you know, that, that would be a fun-ass Super Bowl. So, I mean, there's, there's moves like that. I, with Stafford, I mean, specifically with him, I was just glad to see that he's going to a contender mm-hmm. uh, and that we could see him. I'm very glad he didn't go to just, like, the Jets. So it's just like, hey, Stafford on another bad team. All right, can't wait to see what happens. But seeing Stafford like play some meaningful games because he's one of the ultimate great stats, but never won a single thing, and it's probably not his fault because he plays with the Lions. But it might also be his fault, and we just don't know yet. So it's we get the we get like a verdict on that. So that will be fun. I do like that we're going to get some kind of resolution about like what you know how, how quality a player he is, even at 33 with all the injuries that he's fought through. You know he's going to be with Sean McVay, so I think we get a pretty clear picture of what Stafford's capable of. I, I look at Watson and I tried to make the argument on Twitter within the last week or two that like, he should just go to the NFC. I mean, like if you've got this no trade clause, don't get me wrong. Like I'm sure that you would love to play for Brian Flores and be in Miami and they have, you know, all the assets to be able to do it. And they clearly have a quality roster already, but like, why wouldn't you want to go to the NFC? Like there, there is not this super steep competition and it's certainly not loaded with all of the great AFC quarterbacks and all the young quarterbacks and, and look at like these guys that are going to be coming out this year, like Trevor Lawrence going to an AFC team, you know, and I don't, depending on how people feel about Zach Wilson or, or Justin Fields, like 
another AFC team. Like it's just there, there's so much talent on that side of the conference that like if Deshaun could could really dictate where he goes, somewhere like San Francisco makes a tremendous amount of sense for him. I I think that like the most interesting is potentially seeing him in Oakland, or I guess that's Las Vegas now. But like seeing him with the Raiders and and the both Andy Reid and John Gruden thing, and then the Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson thing would be be really fun. But here we are coming full circle. We already talked about that. Well, yeah, but it's another fun NBA player LL, where you kind of get LeBron James as a one conference and then kind of the other stars kind of try and go to the other conference. So it's just kind of another weird Chiefs NBA parallel. But hey, should we talk about the Super Bowl? We should. Um, I do I do have I have three notes that we have not talked about. All right, we better hurry. What what time are we at? Are we at two hours yet? Uh I I don't have a time running. I can't. It's not, it doesn't do it the way that like the handheld recorder does. Cause we're just, how long do you think we could record and people would listen? You think we could do like a five hour show? Potentially. I mean, people listen to Joe Rogan rabble on for that long. Why wouldn't rabble. they rabble? Um, all right. I do. I do think that like we have to, because this is potentially the last time that we ever could. This may be the very last installment. Of Sammy Watch. Kins. Um, you know, I'm actually, I was seriously considering rebranding it to Hammy Watch instead of Sammy. <laughs> um, poor guy just can't uh, can't get out of the trainer's table. Uh, do, do we have like a metal, medical expert we could call up and be like, how did this guy, what's in this guy's hamstrings? Like, are they actually like slabs of ham? sitting in there like how can this guy what's what's happening in there well and you get this quote from brett beach that like i would love to have sammy watkins back we we love him here and you know if the if it works out and whatever and i'm like i really don't want to waste five six seven eight million dollars on a guy that like we we know at this point that he's not going to be active for more than eight weeks or something was his contract was very incentive laden, correct? So I think he didn't meet like hardly any of those unless it was like team success in the playoffs, which might have been a small portion of it. But I think it was like 800 yards, 1,000 yards, 1,200 yards kind of things, and he wouldn't have reached any of them. Well, I mean, I think that we can say this with absolute certainty. Sammy Watch is on life support, all right? <laughs> like like all, all we can hope for at this point is one last game, one last memory, like let's let's just put it all out there, Hammy. That's what we need. This one last time. I mean, it would be a pretty incredible send off for him to go out and have this amazing Super Bowl after like he played like six games this year. We didn't even get like playoff Sammy, but I mean, if he goes out and has a major contribution in their ability to win, um, you know, he's 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 already going to be a guy that is like remembered in Kansas City forever. His his legacy is is weird, but like, I mean, no, you don't think so? Somewhere right, just below Daniel Sorensen. Yeah, just just below Sorensen. That's a I that is not too hot for teacher. That is just <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, that's that's all that I had for Sammy Watch. I just wanted to. Oh, 
Oh, you got some? That's more Sammy? Oh, yeah. No, I got some Sammy Watch t- takes. Okay. Um, so it was always kind of the belief that Sammy Watchkins, watch, <laughs> Sammy Watchkins, uh, he was always more important in the playoffs because Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey got all his attention. But, man, after watching these, this offense the past two weeks, it almost feels like it's made Andy not overthink it and just be like, hey, I've got two all-time studs and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. I'm just going to feed them over and over and over and not think about my other receiver, Sammy Watkins here, who gets one-on-one matchups. Even though, I mean, that's produced some, some great moments, obviously, in the playoffs. I'm not saying, I'm not taking away from what he did in the playoffs last year specifically. But seeing the offense last, last week, did we miss him at all? I mean, as much as people have been emphasizing like how important he's been to the offense and how like maybe missing Sammy is kind of the missing link for them because they weren't winning by enough points and, and what he does, the offense just performs better with him. I mean, look, I think the fact of the matter is that because the talent of Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey is so overwhelming that like, I think that they're okay just plugging people into that spot. We have enough evidence to see that, like, they keep winning. I mean, maybe they're not winning by two or three scores or whatever all of the time, but I don't know how much of an impact Sammy has. And yet it's still so weird, man. Like, I don't know how to make heads or tails of it because defenses respect him in a way that they do not respect Demarcus Robinson or McCole Hardman or Byron Pringle. But it's like, it's almost like Sammy is kind of like, if you looked up your rep, your, your reputation precedes you in the, the, the dictionary, like Sammy Watkins's picture is going to be right there. Like he just, it's like, because he was a top five pick and, and everybody remembers how amazing he was at Clemson that like the expectation is that Sammy's going to be able to step on the field and just dominate people. And it's like, but he does that. What once a year, twice at most, the guy hasn't played a full season in like five years. He does it in week one. And then he does it in week 21. There you go. I mean, I, I, I will not, I have no complaints about what we have gotten from Sammy Watkins over the course of his three-year contract. I don't have any because we're likely looking at, at least, you know, in my eyes, back-to-back Super Bowl wins and, you know, an AFC championship that they lost in overtime. Like, what what more could you want? More stats for what? Three Three rings? If we won the first one, then we probably wouldn't have Steve Spagnolo. That is like the really interesting conversation. I I saw that from a Jacobs tweet, uh, Nick Jacobs, and I was I thought it was a very astute point. I thought it was interesting because I it was something I'd never really thought of. Like, oh yeah, we probably would still have Bob Sutton yeah. trotting along on the sideline. Yeah. Well, that's all I had on Sammy Watch. Um, the the. Other two things that I had in my notes that I really wanted to try to get to. Number one, I would be remiss if we did not take a moment to talk about Darrell Williams. Um, This is a guy that there's no expectations of him. He's an undrafted player. 
not only do we bring in Le'Veon Bell, but, you know, we have this first round running back that has frustrated people because they didn't think we should be taking a running back that high. But like over the last couple of years, Darrell Williams has closed games for this team. There are four or five games in the last two seasons that like the play, the first down that we needed to ice a game, it was Darrell Williams. And to have basically zero expectations of this player, clearly that means he's going to exceed them. But man, I'm just imminently impressed with him. I thought that he ran angry against Buffalo and like had something he was trying to prove. And and I would not be surprised if Daryl Williams has himself a very nice game against Tampa, despite the fact that they have a just almost impenetrable run defense. I don't know how effective Vita Vea was last week or how effective he'll be in the Super Bowl, but like Daryl Williams at the very least is fully capable of like being the starting running back for the best offense in the NFL. And it's, it's, it's wild because he's not as talented as Clyde. He doesn't have the same kind of skill set as all these different guys around him. But like even even early in the season, they're using Daryl Williams on third downs when you have Clyde out there. It's like they they clearly trust this guy. And I don't think that there's anything about him that makes him a liability either. Like, what does he do poorly? I love Daryl Williams. Yeah, I mean, Daryl's been great. He's been better than I than I thought he could. He's either the argument for running backs not mattering whatsoever. Or the freshest legs in January are the best legs. And it's just kind of a, I think, I always think of Ryan Grant with that Packers team. And Ryan Grant just ran wild in that playoffs. He had like 100 yards every single game. And he's never really heard from again. He just didn't run the ball all season. So he was completely fresh while everybody else had 19 weeks under their belt. So, and that matters for a running back more than any of their position. So it's either he just didn't get used all season. So he's just completely fresh in January here. Or just we could put anybody, we could put you or me back there and, and the offense would keep rolling. Yeah. The other guy that I wanted to talk about, at least briefly, is McCole Hardman. Um, the videos that we got after the game, being able to see some of the conversations that took place after McCole's fumble. Um, he puts the coat over himself and then Mahomes takes it off and he's like, hey, be ready. You know, and, and Travis telling him the same thing, like, you next play, man, you got to get ready. And what the, the very next series, I mean, I was arguing with people on Twitter that everybody's like, cut him. He's the worst. We don't need him. And I'm like, I would literally give McColl the next offensive touch. First time that the offense is back on the field, give him the ball. And that's almost exactly what Andy Reid did. Andy knows how to handle guys. He knows what it takes in order to like get into their mind, get them out of their funk. He knows how to, coddle guys if they need to be coddled he knows how to challenge guys if they need to be challenged and McColl clearly has some issues I don't think I ever really want to see him return a punt again even though he has this amazing explosive ability like there's there's too much ball security issues there that it just it it can ruin you it can um and and clearly he seems to have like a limited ability to I don't know, get open. We're having to like manufacture touches for him and he's explosive. I don't think that McColl will ever be more than like a number two receiver. I don't even know if he's going to get a second contract from this team, but watching how Andy handled him 
in the AFC championship game last year, or sorry, last week, um, two weeks ago, can't even get it right. Just watching how Andy handled that situation and how all of the guys kind of rallied around McCole Hardman, just a masterclass in leadership. And, and I, I was imminently impressed. I mean, agree on all points. I, I probably would take him off punt return duties. I think he's a little overrated there anyways. He's a better kick returner than punt returner. He runs backwards way too much. Um, I think the hatred of him as a receiver is a little too strong, in my opinion, just because of some of the guys that got drafted behind him, uh, which isn't his fault. That's, that's the front office's fault. Um, but I think he's just a big play. I mean, they drafted a big play guy. Uh, and he was kind of drafted to replace Tyreek. So he's, I mean, he's kind of that guy. Uh, but yeah, I probably would take him off punt return duties. But he's he's still like a big play waiting to happen on offense. So I'm I'm fine with him as a piece. On my my hope this loaded offense. was that he was going to end up being sort of like a Deshaun Jackson type. And I mean, maybe that's a really high ceiling. And I just don't recognize like how good Deshaun Jackson was. But like the thing that I feel like I miss from watching McCole Hardman versus what I thought he was going to be is like, where is the slant for 70 yards with McCole Hardman? Don't get me wrong. We're doing some of the end around stuff and he's able like, when he gets a full head of steam and, and we have the great blocking and the, because of the play design, it works out well for him. But like, I don't, I feel like I never see like McCole Hardman running a crosser and, and really opening things up most of what they're asking him to do is like run fast, run straight and try to clear out defenders so that we can throw to somebody else underneath. And that's valuable. I just thought that he would have a lot more volume to him because of the speed. It's like, you want to get him the ball. And we go through these games where it's like McCall Hardman played seven offensive snaps and didn't get targeted. And that's just strange. It hasn't mattered because the offense is still so good, but he's definitely behind where I thought he would be after basically two full seasons. And it's weird because didn't he score like – he had like seven touchdowns or something as a rookie, and yet I think I was still kind of disappointed. And like I think I think he's got, you know, probably another four or five touchdowns this year, and, and I'm sitting here talking about like, eh, I don't know if he's going to get a second contract. But you're right. Like he's he's definitely a big play guy. It helps, you know. He's Os Hakeem. How about that? You like that? I like it. I like that. Uh, yeah, I like Azakim. Well, let's talk about the Super Bowl. Yeah, it's let's do it. Where would you like to start? Super Bowl, Chiefs, Bucks. Uh, well, I think the biggest story of the game is the offensive line versus the defensive line. Um, this just this ultimate patchwork offensive line. Can they hold up? If they can hold up, I think the Chiefs will run wild on them. Um. Man, I forgot. I re- I rewatched the Chiefs Bucks game last week or last night too. Actually, I f- I didn't realize how big of a force Jason Pierre-Paul was in that game, uh, and I and I noticed it last week too against the Packers as well. Uh, Jason Pierre-Paul is a stud, and I I just kind of figured he was kind of older, uh, down to seven and a half fingers, uh, just not not quite what he was. But man, he looks very good, and that was going up against Fisher and. No, not Miss Schwartz has already gone. So Fisher and Rimmers, uh, but man, blocking JPP and just that whole D line across the board. Vitave, Sue, Shaq Barrett. I mean, that's that's a loaded defensive line, uh, very similar to the 49ers last year. And that was the game where we had Schwartz and Fisher, and they kind of wreaked havoc in that game. So 
that's definitely number one storyline. Uh, I'm not breaking any news here, but that uh, that's the key for the Buccaneers to win the game. And that's the key for the Chiefs to run away with the game if they can hold that offensive line intact. But again, uh, um, this is as much on Andy and Patrick as it is on, actually on the offensive line. Like, you got to get the ball out quick and you got to scheme around. You got to scheme some help for the offensive line to handle these guys because I don't think the five guys we have can just stand up against their four guys again and again and again on some deep Mahomes dropbacks, you know? You know, and that's the thing, like, I think that there's enough between Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes on just some of the ability that they have that like they can scheme around the issues that could potentially arise. Like I also, I also think that like for as much talent as they have, not just in that front four, but when you start adding Devin white and your boy Levante David into that, I mean, their front seven is extremely talented and they have a lot of young players that that the ceilings I think are very high for some of the guys in their secondary. But like the injuries to Whitehead and and Winfield, if their safeties are like really not close to a hundred percent, I mean this is this is it. It's the Super Bowl. So even if you're at like sixty five percent, you're probably going to try to give it a go. But like if those guys are not where they should be. I don't care how good your pass rush is. We're going to torture you throwing the ball deep. It's going to happen. So I I think that they're, the reason to me to fear what they can do with their front seven, and particularly those pass rushers, is that I think it's just going to slow us down. I think it's not going to be like as fluid as it looked before Mahomes got hurt against Cleveland and once they got going against Buffalo. I think it's going to be tough sledding. I wouldn't be surprised if the game is similar to last year's Super Bowl. I mean, I think that it's it's an apt comparison when you look at San Francisco's defense. I think that they were maybe more talented. I can't I I don't know how to compare Todd Bowles to Robert Sala. Like those are both clearly like very well respected coaches. Bowles has been around longer. Than Sally, he's got a little bit longer, more impressive resume, but like they're they're pretty similar. I don't know that any one player on that Bucks defensive line is is close to Bosa. Bosa was playing at an unbelievable level in that Super Bowl, but like I um I think that it might like take a while to get going, but as many people have said before, Patrick Mahomes is inevitable, man. I just, I just don't think they have enough. I don't think that Tampa's got enough. And, and to be honest, if you start looking at like the things that tend to happen that lead to teams winning or losing Super Bowls, things like turnovers, things like drops, things like penalties, I know that those things can happen to the Chiefs and, and like we've been able to overcome them. But like the reason that Tom Brady and the Patriots won six rings is because of how efficient they were. They never turned the ball over. They were the best at being disciplined like year after year after year. And Tampa is not that. And, and Tom Brady is turning the ball over in a way that he never really has in his career. And I think that that's going to end up costing Tampa personally. 
Yeah, and also just Super Bowls in weird are in general are just weird. Like weird things can kind of happen in Super Bowls. It's just one game, and there's a lot of pressure on a lot of random players that sometimes they kind of succumb to. So weird things happen in Super Bowls all the time. Um, but talking about Patrick Mahomes just a little bit, I want to be I want to be careful with my words here. But there was a time when sometimes he would come out in big games and be a little too amped up, and it took him a, a good while to settle down. And we've seen this on big stages too. I mean, the first half of the AFC Championship game against the Patriots, we put up a goose egg, and it was probably the worst half that Patrick Mahomes has played in his career. And that was that was a big moment. And I don't I don't know if I want to say the moment was too big for him, but it was a big moment, and it was maybe Mahomes' worst time. So it's it was it was a tough spot. And then the Super Bowl last year, the first three quarters, it took Patrick Mahomes struggled. Uh, I mean, into his career until the fourth quarter. Oh, oh, absolutely! Like the last eight minutes, absolutely, and it's it's and it might not be a Mahomes thing, but maybe it's just like a Chiefs offense thing. But that that was the most they had struggled through three quarters of a game, and it led to him throwing some some bad picks. I mean, especially the first one; it's maybe the worst pick that he's thrown in his career. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you'd think he's past that because Patrick Mahomes is inevitable. I actually have that exact sentence in my notes, so maybe that's more of a thing than I thought. I was trying to be actually clever with that. Um, but that's the thing. In, in that second half against the Patriots, he puts up what was he puts up 31 points or whatever he did. He puts up 21 points in the final eight minutes of the Super Bowl. So he's going to happen, but you just, you just hope it's not too late. And he's very aware of the situation. He's very aware of the conversation. He knows that this is Mahomes versus Brady. He knows that people are saying this is the biggest game of Mahomes' career. It's his only chance to beat Brady. Like he's aware, so I'm I'm just hoping that um, you know there's no there's no letdown in the first quarter or anything. I hope he's um, you know just at the point where he's able to calm himself down before the game and come out and play his game because I think if he plays to his ability and the team overall, this is our game to win. But I I would hate to see another big game where he comes out and struggles for a quarter or a half or something like that because. In a game like this, that can be enough. I mean, like the AFC Championship, like they turned it on and they wouldn't, they couldn't be stopped at the end, but it still wasn't enough, and they lost that game. So that's that's just another thing uh, to, to watch for. Another possible way for the Chiefs to to lose this game. I think those are the two ways: the O line just getting decimated, and and maybe Mahomes and and whatever just succumbing to the moment, just for a slight moment of time, and that being enough. I mean, something that I think is worth considering is the difference between, as we've talked about, you know, kind of ad nauseum at this point, the difference between 2019 and 2020, but not from a fan perspective, you know, from the team's perspective. Because, like, there there are ways that this team is trying to set out to, like, prove doubters wrong. Um, but they are at this stage where they're kind of manufacturing some of that. You know, we talk about some of these great teams, especially the Patriots. They were always like, oh, nobody believes in us. And, and you know, Julian Edelman's stuff was always like really, really bad every year trying to put out some kind of like, whatever, we're underdogs in this Super Bowl or something. Isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, Chiefs fans really laid into the Patriots for that. And now the Chiefs are the ones really leaning into that. 
little, a little funny. It's always <laughs> worse when it's somebody else. If it's you, you're going to forgive yourself for it, right? Like, that's just the way that it goes. Um, but, I mean, I, I guess, like, where I'm trying to go with this point is that you say Mahomes is aware of all of these things. And it's not just the awareness. He cares. He cares about that stuff no matter like how nice they are and what they end up saying in press conferences, like this moment, this opportunity, it matters. It matters a lot to him. And I think that as much as you don't want to, you know, maybe talk about some of the legacy stuff and that's not like you don't. And I do, I, I think that it can be a little reductive, but you know that Mahomes is cognizant that like that conversation is happening and that, he he wants to leave no doubt and it's not just him it's all of the other guys that are part of this team like it's you know this is this is the ultimate opportunity like how many i think there's seven teams that have won back-to-back super bowls in nfl history it's a rare thing to do and that has been their goal from day one they've been saying run it back since february march oh yeah absolutely but you know what's I, I came across something. Oh, it was after I was reading tweets from like after the Super Bowl last year. Remember when it was a huge story when like all the Chiefs players kept talking about a dynasty? Mm-hmm. I haven't heard that word thrown around once all season. They threw it around all off season. I didn't hear a single player say it once this season. Which is I don't know. I don't know if I did either. But and, and maybe that was something that like you know somebody somewhere mark donovan was like hey can we temper that down a little bit like we've got run it back going but we don't necessarily want you to be talking about a dynasty or whatever i don't don't know but i i think that there are so many different motivating factors for patrick mahomes and especially you know the other guys i think on the offense um they they care about all of those different little storylines. They care about their statistics. They care about being you know, considered and being in that echelon with some of the greatest ever. And I think that winning the Super Bowl last year pushes you to start thinking about those other things. Because if the original goal is we want to win a championship, once you've done that, like winning another championship, I know that it's still important right? But like, much like I think the experience is different for us, it's got to be different for them too. You have to start coming up with new goals and new reasons to want to reach that level. And I don't think that it's just about like, this one season, you know, our goal is to win the Super Bowl. I think that a lot of those guys are probably thinking about legacy. They're thinking about the kind of mark that they want to leave. And the Super Bowl is the biggest stage to be able to do it. And I wonder if like, you know, you mentioned that Matthew was the guy that addressed the team before the Super Bowl last year. Who does it this year? Is it Matthew again? Is it Mahomes? Is it somebody? I mean, like I, I, I'm genuinely curious. And some of that is just because, you know, we'll talk about anything that revolves around the chiefs, but I, I could see where, they allowed Matthew to do it because he was more of a veteran or whatever. But like at this point, it sure seems like Mahomes is really the lightning rod for them. And so I, I wonder if it's, if it's him, 
now if it's really like yeah. Pat's time. Yeah, you would think it's Mahomes or maybe Nick Allegretti, but I would probably lean towards Mahomes. <laughs> you know, I uh, I'm I'm really beginning to wonder since we're just talking about the game itself, like is there you mentioned potentially the offensive line or potentially like, you know, starting slow or just kind of not really meeting the moment or, or, or not being able to get there too little, too late, so to speak. Um, is there a scenario in this game where you feel like the chiefs could just completely overwhelm Tampa and it could be, you know, one of those like embarrassing Super Bowl losses that people like we've seen a few of them before where it's like, Oh man, this is, 45 to 10 you think that there's a scenario that they could do that with tampa on sunday absolutely oh absolutely i think you saw it in the first quarter of the first time they played it's just that but then carried through Mm -hmm. and i I think there's it's definitely on the table we could see a chief's 30 point win in this game Mm -hmm. uh i i don't think it will happen personally uh but yes absolutely i mean if the chiefs play to their best best of capabilities also the buccaneers have had a few games this year they've put up complete duds i mean just i mean the saints i think in both games that the saints beat the nah just the second game just the second game in tampa bay uh and there was another game in there where tampa bay just got embarrassed uh so that's definitely on the table in my opinion lose to the raiders but the chiefs lost the Raiders, so it's not as much of an insult as i want it to be um i think uh, on the other side of the ball I want to switch to the other side of the ball. I think the Buccaneers will try and run the ball a good amount. And I think some of that is Brady's last time that he beat the Chiefs. He beat this team. That Patriots team let, uh, led, uh, leaned on, there we go, leaned on the running game. Uh, so I think Brady does see um, the opportunity there that they could kind of lean on that and shorten the game. And I think that will be a big part of their game plan. I think they will try to run the ball. They got two running backs, uh, both of which can deal out some damage. I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Buccaneers try and run it 30 times in this game. I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to run it more than 30 times uh, in terms of like really trying to figure out a formula. Because, I mean, it seems like Spagnolo. I kept, I, I quote this stat fairly often and I don't know where to find it, but there was this stat that went around for a little while where they were talking about defenses that like try to funnel teams to either the run or the pass. And the chiefs were funneling people toward the run at the highest rate in the league. And it just seemed like really forward thinking like, well, passes are more valuable. So we are going to invite you to run always, please run for seven or eight yards of carry. We probably just, it's, you're still, you're going to end up not being patient enough and you're going to have throwing and making mistakes. And I think that's just some Andy Reed philosophical thing. Cause I mean, that's, that's been a thing since Andy Reed got here. I think that the defense when he first got here was good against the run, but like the last five or six years, we've had a bottom 10 run defense every year, except this year, I think was one of the best. And I think we were like 18th against the run or something. I think it's the best we've been in like five years. And that's, and that's not an accident. That is Andy Reid saying, you are welcome to run it as much as you want. We're going to focus on the pass. Here's the deal. When I look at like the way that this defense plays, some of it is just like the pride that they have. I mean, dude, Derek Nottie is 
unreal. The way that he's been playing this season, he's he's so freaking good. And you have Chris Jones, who you know has his issues with consistency, but like if if it comes down to Tampa's really trying to load up and like jam it down our throats and hand the ball off 45 times. I am not worried about the chiefs being able to get stops on third down when we can put Frank Clark, one of the best run defending defensive ends in the league next to Mike Pinnell and Derek Nottie, and then have Chris Jones, like play the other edge. I mean, I, I just, I'm not scared about, teams that want to try to like beat us in those small increments try to limit our possessions because i i just i don't think that there's anybody out there that can really do that i mean in the game that we lost to the raiders the raiders ended up putting up 40 something points and it was mostly about their ability to connect on a few downfield throws and they pressured patrick mahomes like 20 times and I guess that there's a scenario in which that could happen against Tampa, but like, I wouldn't be surprised if they did try to stick to the run, but like, you really think that Leonard Fournette is going to beat this chiefs team? I'm sorry. Like that, that that's not happening folks. I I don't think that it only works <laughs> if you're able to pick up third downs, which Brady is capable of. Think of that AFC championship game. They ran it all over us. But the biggest plays in the game were third and tens from Tom Brady throwing it to Rob Gronkowski. Without that, it doesn't work. So you need that to go with it. It's not that I think 30 carries for, for the Buccaneers beats us. It's that I don't think Brady can throw the ball 50 times and beat us. He needs to lean on the running game, and I think they will lean into it. I think if Brady, if they do come out with that attitude of Brady trying to throw it 50 times, he's going to throw a couple picks, and they won't be able to keep up. Well, and that's where, it, you know, that factor of can the Chiefs get up early and, and kind of force them to do that, you know. But but it, that's also, I feel like this has kind of been that that interesting thing that's, uh, you know, people have talked about ever since Tom Brady signed with Tampa is that you've got Bruce Arians with this no-risk-it, no-biscuit mentality. And, and so, like, I think that he's going to end up calling plays to say, like, Tom, you need to push the ball down the field no matter what even if they are trying to, to be deliberate about running the ball. But, I mean, I look at the teams in the past that have, like, used the run effectively against this team and, and made it feel like, God, they have got to figure out how to stop the bleeding. I mean, I don't see – I know that Tampa's offensive line is really well-respected. Um, and, you know, playoff Lenny – you talked about fresh legs. He definitely has those because they were leaning on Ronald Jones for most of the year. And I don't think that Jones is, is really like fresh at this point. I don't know that he's anywhere near hundred percent entering the game. So I think they are going to lean on Fournette quite a bit, but like, I'm not scared of Fournette the way that I was scared of Derrick Henry. And they were able to shut him down last year with basically the exact same personnel. Um, and, and I'm not scared of, Bruce Arians like ability to scheme up the run game the way that I am scared of you know what Kyle Shanahan was able to do and and the system that that the Shanahan's have been running for 30 years or something at this point and so when I think of Bruce Arians I think of chucking the ball down the field and when I look at what Tampa Bay has I'm like 
dude, you've got Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and, and, you know, Scotty Miller who wants to race Tyreek at halftime. And you, you know, they still have these other weapons like Cameron Brayton and, and Gronk. Like there's so many weapons that they have in the passing game that it would be really foolish to me to try to lean on the run. If you want some balance, sure. And maybe you don't want Tom Brady to throw it that many times at his age, but like, that's how their team is set up. And, and as we saw with like the settling for field goal type of stuff that these teams have done, like, I, I think that Tampa has to just pull out all the stops and say like, we need to lean on the best players that we have. And those are the weapons on the outside. I think if that happens, I think that's when you're looking at chiefs blowout territory. I think you just have to be balanced going against this defense. As soon as you get uh, one dimensional, I think you're, playing into their hands and i would i would gladly take that speaking of which you, you you brought up mike evans just kind of rewatching that game i think bashad breland was put on this earth to cover mike evans i could see that. what a what a perfect what a perfect it's just like it's just like contested catches they're like he's tall like him he's evans isn't a burner uh that being said Breland did have one of the worst coverage snaps I've ever seen when Evans caught his second touchdown against him. He he ended up like 10 yards away. I, I have no idea what happened. And, and he got flagged on the play. Uh, but outside of that, Breland was having his way, and Evans was was fairly quiet in that game uh, outside of his two touchdowns, which sounds weird. But he had like 11 targets, I want to say, and only three catches. So they were kind of throwing to him, but he was he was pretty smothered most of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. But the, the Chiefs won't chase. They, they never chase, but I do like it when Breland ends up on them. I think that, like, if the Chiefs are vulnerable somewhere, it's it's still a corner, which just – it's like I keep going back to that well. I haven't learned my lesson yet, you know? I, I, well, I think there's there's two guys. Charvarius Ward, I guess. Yeah, I think there's two guys. I think they'd go at Charvarius and they'll go at Sorensen. Mm-hmm. And those are the two guys that offenses like to play on and well and the, and the linebackers too if you get neiman matched up with a running back at all that's what you're looking for so i mean that's we know what they're gonna attack that's that's what they want to do well let's uh let's try to finish this thing up here um what is your actual expectation for the game you don't have to like give a prediction if you i mean whatever i don't care but like how do you see this thing going what do you think is the expected result here i think the game will be close um, a lot of that is just because I think the season has been too easy. I think we're due for a challenge. I just don't think we cakewalk our way through this season that easily. I think we get an all-time game. Um, I think Brady will show up, uh, but I do think it'll be low scoring. I think the Bucks will be able to pressure Mahomes, which will will cause some mishaps to the Chiefs. I don't think the Chiefs will be able to run the ball whatsoever. That's not their strength. And the Buccaneers have the number one run defense in the league, both in yards allowed and yards per carry. So they're very stout up front. So that kind of already makes the Chiefs one-dimensional. Um, it'll be a much different game than the Bills game, who play a very bend-but-don't-break style. They, they're just saying no big plays against the Bills. So that's why Tyreek and Kelsey just open underneath over and over and over. They'll come up and challenge you. And they had an aggressive game plan last time where Carlton Davis is going to single-cover Tyreek Hill, and we took advantage of that. We're just going to go to that well over and over and over. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how the Buccaneers change up their defense, but I do think they'll be able to get some pressure on Mahomes, um, which will cause this offense a little bit of trouble, more than we've seen uh, so far in the first two playoff games when Mahomes has played. Um, I think the Bucs will run the ball. I think they'll try and shorten the game a little bit because I do think they're a little outmatched, a little outclassed, so I think that's the easiest way to kind of limit possessions 
make it an eight or nine possession kind of game instead of an 11 or 12 possession kind of game because that favors the lesser team. Um, so I think it will remain kind of low scoring. Um, I'll put it at Chiefs 24-19. Chiefs 24-19. I, I really think that it's going to be a pretty similar game to what we saw in the Super Bowl last year. Um, and, and maybe not necessarily like the way that the game flowed um, and the Chiefs, you know, being down 10 late. But just in terms of like both teams really kind of struggling to get going and it just feeling kind of clunky for a while, I wouldn't be surprised if it was like, you know, seven to three or something at halftime. Um, and, and it will pick up eventually. But I mean, I would be expecting like whatever the over under is, I would be looking at the under. Um, I, I don't think that you're going to end up seeing like a whole lot of lighting up the scoreboard in this game. Um, and some of that is just because I think that having played each other already means that, you know, both teams are going to go through and make their adjustments. And, and these are unbelievably talented and experienced coaching staffs. You know, I, I really think that Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles and then Andy Reid and, and Spagnolo, like these guys are just absolute professionals and, I think the Chiefs are going to outlast Tampa because they're a better team. There's more continuity. I mean, in a lot of ways, Tampa is a team that was kind of, you know, piecemeal together, bringing in Tom Brady and bringing in Fournette um, and, and some of the young talent on this team too. They're just, I, I, I could see if, they're able to keep it together and have a second season and have a full off season and whatnot that they could like really challenge the chiefs more so than, than what we'll see in this game. But I, I think that the chiefs are just too much. I have been so comfortable and so confident all year long and I'm, I'm just going to sit back and watch and enjoy it on Sunday. I'm really not nervous at all. I think, uh, I think the chiefs are going to handle it. And it may be close and it might be like kind of frustrating at times because we want to see him go out and just, you know, win 49 to nothing. Uh, but I think my expectation is kind of in the same neighborhood as you. Um, I'd expect the Chiefs to put up around, you know, between 20 and 30 points. Um, what's what's that number that Patrick Mahomes had all the the – game's over we got to hit over 22 right well it kept getting lower and lower because we kept going underneath the threshold i think it was 26 for a while okay. and then it was 22 and then i think the falcons game killed all of them oh okay okay well you said 24 and 24 is too normal a number i can't believe you picked 24 i'm gonna go with 26 because i don't know how you get there and 13 safeties. <laughs> and I'm going to give the Bucks. Uh, I'm going to go 26 to Four. 15. Five field goals. Five Five. Field goals. Oh, oh, a Ryan suck up revenge game. Yeah. He's going to knock Who's, field goals in. What revenge game are you more afraid of? Ryan suck up or LaShawn McCoy? 
suck up for sure. hundred percent, hundred percent suck up. Well, um, he's, he's going to be kicking field goals on first down. <laughs> well, Dirk, it's been great to catch up, man. Uh, hey, folks, this has been amateur hour. I, I think we, I think we solved the, uh, the rust versus rest debate with yeah. this podcast, right? So rest won out because we, we knocked this out of the park, right? I think so. Yeah. I think so. It was a, a Super Bowl preview marathon. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed it. It's it's so great to be able to hang out with my friend, his Dirkness. Um, it's going to be really weird watching a Super Bowl without you, but, you know, hopefully there are plenty more in the future. We'll be able to do it again. I'm, I'm this, only 2,000 miles away, buddy. Yeah, right? Well, this has been Amateur Hour. I'm Ryan Scott Hall. He's his darkness. And this is the Edgar Winter Group. I'm going to play Frankenstein. And the reason I'm playing Frankenstein is because I feel like that's what our offensive line is now. It's just all these random parts brought together to make something. So um, I can't tell you if we're going to be doing another one after the Super Bowl. You never know. It's possible. But like, hey, good time, AHPKC Reunion. And go Chiefs, you know? Chiefs. I think it's the first time we say go Chiefs. Yeah, I think I'm going to root for them on Sunday. Confident I'll I'll root for the Chiefs on Sunday. So I am telling you guys, the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl in 2020.